I don't know if, if we want to get real personal being married for 16 years now. Um, is it 16 years? I better make sure my math is correct on that one. Um, 15 years. Sometimes feels like 16. Dizman's radio episode 991 starts in three, two, Welcome back to Diz Runs Radio, where I talk with runners from all corners of the running world about running, life, and everything in between. I'm your host, Denny Cray, and it's just about time to head out the door for an easy run and a great conversation. So if you're ready, then I'm ready. Let's get started. Trick or treat, y'all. Welcome, welcome, welcome to this month's edition, the spooky edition, the October edition of uh, the listener question and answer, where you ask, I answer, and occasionally I actually answer with something that's useful, helpful, you know, valuable, something, something beyond uh, nonsense. So uh, we'll see, we'll see how much, you know, valuable content flows in today's uh, Q&A episode. We've got a bunch of questions, so we'll uh, dive in it relatively quick. But uh, for those that are new around here, before we officially get started, uh, this is something we do every month. The last Friday of each month is dedicated to your questions and uh, my attempts at answering them somewhat usefully, um, occasionally, humorously, a lot of times nonsensically. But uh, anyway, we do this every month. And if you have any questions that you would like to get answered from the serious to the the melody level of non-serious, disruns.com slash Facebook is the best way to get your questions featured on the show. Uh, That that takes you right to our little Facebook group. You can also just next time you're on Facebook, point your little search Facebook thing over towards the Disruns tribe. Come on in, hang out. Middle of the month, I put a post up that says, what are your questions this month? You put your questions in the comments. I answer them. It's pretty, it's pretty much that simple. Uh, we can get a little bit more complicated where you can send me your questions via email, via other social medias, things like that. I will be honest, though. My, my success ratio on getting those questions into the episode is... Maybe 50% because, uh, you know, a little bit helter-skelter around here sometimes. Uh, things get lost in the shuffle. But if they're in that Facebook, you know, post or in that, that thread, uh, that way they don't get lost. So that's the easiest way to do it. But whatever whatever works best for you. If you have questions, I have answers. Occasionally I have useful answers. And that's what we're doing today. Uh, like I said, lots of questions. 30-something today, um, including... A variety from Melody, which uh, we'll get to those when we get to those. Um, love you, Melody. But uh, anyway, let's get started. For maybe the first time ever, the the, tra- the Tom Trifecta kicks off this month's Q&A. So three from Tom from Western New York. First one, this question is inspired by Shalane Flanagan. If you had the opportunity to run two major marathons, say London and Chicago, within one week of each other... Would you run them? What about within 24 hours like Chicago and Boston? Absolutely. Absolutely, I'd do it, Tom. I'd, if I had the opportunity and, and you know the calendar is what it was this year to do all three of them in whatever it is, eight days, pff, lock and load. Let's make it happen. Um, I would absolutely do it. Now, obviously, there's, there's financial considerations and travel considerations that uh, maybe don't impact Shalane quite as much as they might impact somebody like me. 
Um, also, the the whole you know qualification situation that also doesn't impact Shalane quite like it would impact me. Um, but yeah, given the opportunity and, and shoot, I mean, I would do it with, with not major marathons, you know, I mean, that's, and this is a question we'll get into in a, in a little bit from, from somebody else, but this is one of those things where it's like, that's, that's part of what a lot of times people do when they're trying to, you know, whether it's a, a marathon in 50 States or, you know, just a, a race in 50 States or whatever, where you stack them on, you know, back to back days on the same weekend. Um, or maybe you, you go on a vacation and you, and you start the vacation with a race, you know, one weekend and you wrap up the vacation with the race the next weekend. I'd absolutely do it. You know, non-major marathons, major marathons, whatever. If the opportunity presented itself, um, and, and things made sense. Yeah. I mean, I'd have, I'd have, I would not hesitate for one second to be like, yeah, let's do it. Saddle up, make it happen. Um, so, so yeah, you know, I, I think it's awesome. And, and shoot, you know, shout out to, to Amy, who was on the show a while back. And I don't remember the show number, Amy, I apologize. Um, but she did Berlin, London, and what was the other one? And Boston. She did Berlin, London, and Boston this year. Um, so that was three in what, two weeks, something like that. Um, so yeah, you know, lots of, lots of crazy opportunities based on how the calendar shook out this year. Um, and how, you know, various lotteries and things like that might've shaken out. Uh, to have some pretty cool experiences of running some big marathons, some major marathons in relatively short order. So, uh, yeah, Tom, to answer your question, if the opportunity presented itself, I would absolutely do it. Uh, Tom's second question, during my early morning runs, I often come across motorists who have used stop signs as just a recommendation. Have you had this experience and do you have any suggestions? Yeah, I, I absolutely have, Tom. I, I think that anybody who, shoot, anybody who runs on the roads at any time has had this, this uh, experience where, you know, People that are driving cars don't uh, don't always believe that stop signs are mandatory, uh, and certainly they're not always looking out for for pedestrians. Um, and I'm not not going to just throw all the shade on the motorists here. Um, the folks driving, yes, in in theory, they should be you know adhering to the the laws and making sure to look for pedestrians and runners and things like that. Um, but the fact of the matter is, as a driver, I've you know come up short on those situations, um, you know, more than a few times, not, not because I had my head buried in my phone or things like that, but just, just for whatever reason. Right. Um, so as a runner, I, I feel like, you know, it's, it's, yes, it's nice when the car stops far enough back from the crosswalk and they definitely wait and let you go. Um, and sometimes that happens, but you know, as I've said before, kind of tongue in cheek, but it's obviously a, a serious topic, you know, Cars versus runners collisions. Cars are are 100. They have a 100 record. So when I'm out running with with the dog in the morning in the neighborhood, uh, or if I'm in town or whatever the case may be, if I'm out running and I'm out on the roads, which is 99 of my runs, um, you know, I'm I'm always trying to be aware of cars, and certainly when I'm approaching intersections, um, you know, like like I make sure that I err on the side of caution. Now now sometimes it may not always look like that. Sometimes it may look like I'm kind of playing chicken with the cars that are coming. Um, but, 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 um, and I don't necessarily recommend that, but if push comes to shove, I'm not going to put myself in a position where I'm out in the middle of the, the intersection while a car is rolling through a stop sign or something like that. I'm just not going to do it. Um, I might be a little bit angry and, and maybe give a, a certain salutes. Uh, I've been known to slap a car bumper when it, when it rolls through a stop sign and I've, I've stopped on the sidewalk in front of it and, and I should have had the right of way because there was a crosswalk right there. Um, car goes by, I'll, I'll slap the heck out of the rear panel of a car. Um, just to let them know, you know, again, don't necessarily recommend that, but, but those are the types of things I, I have done in the past. 
uh, probably will continue to occasionally do in the future. But I, I think that the biggest, you know, the biggest suggestion is to just assume that the cars are not going to see you, are not going to stop, um, and and always, you know, yield yield your right of way um, until it's clear that the, that the that the driver has seen you and acknowledged you. You know, looking for for eye contact if it's if it's daylight enough. Um, of course, you can you know wear wear bright colored colored clothes, lights, you know whatever those types of things to make yourself stand out more often, which makes it more likely that the, the driver is going to see you and stop. But never never assume, never assume because again, cars undefeated, and uh, you know, like you don't want to lose you don't want to lose that battle uh, ever. Certainly not more than once. So, um, you know, hope hope for the best, expect the worst. And, uh, you know, kind of somewhere in the middle is where you're probably going to end up most of the time. Um, but definitely, you know, as frustrating as it can be as a runner, sometimes try to have a little bit of grace because I'm, I guarantee, like I said, I mean, I've, I've been guilty of it. Um, and probably most of us have as drivers where you don't see somebody or you're, you know, you're, the kids are yelling in the backseat or, or whatever the case might be. Um, and you know, it just, it just happens. So, uh, give a little bit of grace, be, be safe instead of sorry. And, uh, hopefully, uh, you're, you know, you don't, you don't come up against a car. Cause that's a, that's a, that's a battle. You're going to lose. That's a battle. You're going to lose Uh third one from Tom's trifecta this month. Third question, uh, other than free, what is your favorite flavor of potato chip? So, um, you know, when it, when it comes to race day as as many of you have, have heard me say before, my, my race day policy is never say no to potato chips on race day. Just something, something about the salt and you know, the, the simple carbs or whatever, the, the little bit of fat, the little bit of grease, um, just kind of hits the spot. And so on race day, I would say my, my favorite flavor of potato chip is, is the standard classic yellow, you know, just, I guess the plain bag, right. Of like Lay's potato chips, like they're thin, they're greasy. They like dissolve as soon as they hit your tongue They get plenty of salt on them. Um, and that way when, when you inevitably have the chip burps, like it's not great, but it's better than like, you know, some type of flavored chip burp when you're, you know, 26 miles or 32 miles or whatever into, into your run. Um, now again, I'll, you know, I'll never say no to potato chips on race day. So if they've got something that's more flavorful, I'll take it. But if I've got the option at an aid station, I'll go with the plain potato chip flavor over, over anything else typically on race day. Now, outside of that, I don't tend to eat a lot of potato chips. You know, Mr. Mr. Low carb over here, like potato chips aren't, aren't exactly high on the low carb, uh, you know, uh, list of foods that uh, would would qualify as as low carb. I guess they got the high fat piece covered, but they also have some carbs. So I, I try to stay away from them. But um, on occasion, you know, I'm I'm human. On occasion, I don't mind splurging a little bit. Um, so I, I would I would typically go for like your sour cream and cheddar or whatever that that type of flavor might be. You know, different different brands have different uh, different names for it. But that would be one that would be on the list. Also, a good barbecue flavor is is a good one for me. Um, and ideally we'd be going for more of a, of a meaty potato chip, uh, some type of kettle cooked, something like that. Uh, not, not so much the lays if I'm going to try to enjoy some potato chips. I want to, I want to, I want to, I want there to be something there when I'm eating those potato chips. Um, but I'm pretty much open to, to other flavors. Salt and pepper is a good one. Uh, I'm not a fan of, of salt and vinegar. I mean, I'll do it if, if there's no other option, but I probably would just pass in that situation. Um, but yeah, sour cream and cheddar barbecue. Those are, those are probably my two go-tos, uh, for, for fine dining chip experience. 
uh, on race day. Just give me that simple, simple, simple and basic, a uh, little bit of salt. Good to go. Uh, but thanks for the questions, Tom, as always. And uh, congrats on uh, the PR in the marathon recently. Good job. Uh, next question coming from Mona. I hope this month's Q and a is as hilarious as last October's. Well, no, no pressure, Mona. Thanks for that. I don't, I don't, I don't remember what I talked about last month and you're going to compare this to last year's Q and a goodness gracious. Best of luck to me on somehow it's hilarious. Again, setting the bar high, uh, giving me plenty of room to go under, but uh, here we go. Mona's questions this month. Uh, what are some of the other running related podcasts that you think are worth listening to? You know, we love you. Just want to compare my list. So, um, this is a, this is a tough one for me, not because I, I am like worried about y'all listening to other, like there's plenty of great podcasts out there. I've talked, I've had, I've had plenty of, of other running podcasters, fellow running podcasters on the show. And I'm happy to promote their shows left, right, and center, but I don't listen to very many of them. Um, and it's not because again, it's not because there's some like petty jealousness or anything like that. Um, I think it's mostly because I tend to, um, you know, use podcasts as like business, business education, news, uh, things like that. And so just, I, I've, I've subscribed to most of the running podcasts that, you know, I've, I've had, you know, guests on the show about, and I listen to, listen to them for a little while. And then it just kind of, they just kind of fall off my, my radar of, of what I want to listen to. And, and again, there's no way that like, I, I mean that with no shade directed to them at all. Um, they're great shows. It's just like, they kind of get to the bottom of my, my list of, of news and other types of entertainment and, and education, things like that. And then I have, you know, 40 episodes of a podcast built up and I'm just like, yeah, just delete, 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 delete. Um, and like stay subscribed, but I just don't listen to them as much. So, but that said, the ones that, that I definitely tend to turn to, uh, I really like running with Jake, you know, it's, it's, it's funny, but also there's, there's enough good meat on the bone there as well that I, I enjoy that, that podcast. Um, not your average runner with Jill Angie is, is, is a great one. Um, I'm probably not the, the, her, her ideal demographic and that's okay. Um, but I still enjoy it. I think she's, I think Jill does great work. She's, she's an awesome lady. So I, I really enjoy that podcast. Uh, ordinary marathoners, ordinary marathoner, um, with my man, Scott Ricky. Uh, I love that show. I've been on it several times. He's been on, on my show several times. Uh, Scott's a great dude. Um, and he does, he does good work as well. Um, but there's lots of others that, um, um, Brody's Brody Sharp's show. Um, what does he call I can't even remember what it's called now. Um, cause he said he had one and then he changed it. I, what, I'm, I'm sorry, Brody. I, I, I forgot the name of your podcast. I'd give it a shout out, but you could, you know, y'all that are looking for it. Let me know. And I'll, I'll let you know. Um, Jason Dennis's show run the race. That's another good one. Um, there's, there's, there's lots of them and, and just like mine has certain flavors and, you know, sometimes you might like it more than others. All of the, all of their shows have certain kind of flavors and slants and angles that they're coming at it from. So they might resonate more with you than others. Um, so give them listens, you know, give them a listen. If it's not for you, Hey, no worries. There's only however many other, other hundred thousand podcasts out there running and otherwise. So, uh, you know, just, just keep listening to podcasts. That's, that's where I come from. You know, it's, it's, uh, the more, the more people listen to podcasts, the more it helps everybody. And, and, um, you know, just as far as getting more people listening, more people finding the show, more opportunities for whether it's sponsors or, or things like that to kind of help keep the lights on and, and whatnot. Um, so I'd be curious to hear your list though, Mona, what, what, what running related podcasts do you listen to? Um, but those are a few, a few of mine that are on the list. Um, next question. Why do you love maths? I love that you call it maths. Uh, 
Anyway, why do you why do you love maths? I've always been interested to know that. I know you get all excited about it. Were you always good at it naturally? Or did it help you in your life? I mean, I love psychology and literature because uh, they taught me a lot of life lessons. So in that context, why do I love math? Um, I think that for me, it's it's the, my brain is very much analytical. Um, very much. I, I like the black and white. I like the, the, the completeness of math. Like you have a problem, you solve it period. You know, there, there's not a lot of, of gray, gray, gray results, or there's not, not a lot of, of wiggle room as far as, um, you know, well, it could be this, but it could be like math is, is it, it is, um, it's always come easy to me. It's always made sense to me. You know, I, I was never one of those students in the math class growing up where, uh, you know, like the, the teacher would introduce some new concept or some new, whatever, you know, the next thing. And like, I remember in, as an example, I remember in, in our geometry class, um, you know, we were going through like proofs of like theorems. And I was always the one that was like, I don't, you know, like, like, is this, you know, is a squared plus B squared equals C squared. Cool. Got it. I don't need to do 500 examples to like, well, what about if a is this and B is this? Like, I don't, I don't need to do all that nonsense. Like if this formula is true, and, you know, like you're telling me it's true. It's in the book. You know, I'll do a couple examples. Like, oh yeah, it checks out. Like, I'm good. I'm good. And I remember that there were some other students in class that would have to go like, well, but, but what about if A is this? And but, but what about if the hypotenuse is this? What, what, what about in this scenario? And it would like make me want to pull my hair out because it was just like A squared plus B squared equals C squared, period. You know, 5, 12, 13. That's always going to work out as well. You math nerds, you know what I'm talking about. You know, like, like, so it's just, it just, to me, it just made sense. I didn't need to, I didn't need proof. I didn't need to, to like go through all the hypotheticals. Like it just worked and there was complete. And at the end of, you know, you, you worked through the steps and there was an answer and, and that really like just worked for me. And so, and yet I kind of look back and go, why, why did I never like pursue a, a math centered career? Why didn't I pursue something in physics or in engineering or something like that, that, that really, really probably would have been something I could have really been good at. And I like to think I'm good at my job now. I hope I am. Um, but you know, if I had it to do over again, would I have made math more of a, a priority? You know, would, would, would young Diz have been like, yeah, math needs to be something that's, that's at the center of my, my focus going forward. Probably, probably. Um, cause it's just, it just makes sense to me. It was easy to me. It came naturally and I, and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the, 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 the process. And again, the conclusion, a solid answer. So there you go. Hope all that made sense. Um, and then I of course married a, an, an English, an English person and you know, I guess opposites attract, right? There you go. <laughs> anyway, uh, a real good question. Do you think, uh, male versus female athletes need, need a different training or coaching because they are different bodies and they work differently. I'm, I'm reading a lot in this context. What is your approach as a coach? So, uh, you know, I, I, this, uh, I, when I first read this question, when I feel like this is one of those danger questions of like where no, no matter what I, what I answer or how I, how I go about it, I'm going to get myself in trouble. And so I, I still kind of feel that way, but, but I think that, that, I'm going to default back to, to my, just my philosophy on coaching in general is there's no one size fits all for, for anyone across the board. And so, yeah, I think that, that I, I think that to say that, that do males and females need different things or different training philosophies? Well, like, like, sure. But I, I don't think that that means that all men need the same philosophies or the same style of coaching or the same training plans. Just like I wouldn't think that all females do, you know, I, I think that, that, 
yes, there are general principles that tend to work with humans. Um, just because our, our physiology, there's lots of similarities in our physiology, but at the same time, there's absolutely, there's differences and tweaks and what works for one may or may not work for, for another. And so, you know, having, having those conversations and, and obviously with, with females and, and, and hormones and cycles throughout the month, like not that we dive into that real deeply, not that I'm afraid to, uh, but obviously it's not something that I've experienced. Like I don't have any firsthand knowledge of, of what the menstrual cycle is like, but I definitely have, have athletes that I've coached that it's like, oh, you know, dot, 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 this is going on. I noticed this when I'm on my period, whatever. And like, we work together to adjust the training so that it hits, you know, certain workouts hit or don't hit at certain times of the month. Um, and I have some athletes that we never get into that, that line of, of discussion and, and how their bodies react at different times of the month. And, and that's okay. If they're not comfortable with it, I'm not going to poke and pry depending on how things are going, of course, but like, I'm not going to poke and pry probably anyway, but if they bring it up, we talk about it as much as I'm, I'm able to, and kind of work together to figure it out. But again, that's not women across the board, men across the board. As far as I'm concerned, that's this woman, this man, this, this person, right. And each person kind of work it work it differently. So, so I guess my, my approach as a coach is, is, is the same as it's always has been. And that's, you know, there is no one size fits all each person, like I, I work with each person at their individual level, physically, um, their body, their goals, things like that. Um, and try to try to find the right answer or the right approach or the right nudge or encouragement or whatever they need from me as a coach for each person. And not just try to assume that for everybody, for every, every, everybody that needs, that needs the same thing, because clearly not everybody needs the same thing. Uh, last question that, that really isn't a question, I don't think, but I'm going to read it for you anyway, Mona. I really enjoyed the, uh, the, the series with Thessaly. I think she's awesome. I cannot thank, I cannot think of her when I work out on the treadmill. Um, I cannot not, whoa, double negative threw me for a loop there. I cannot not think of her when I work out on the treadmill. Did she change your mind a tiny bit about the treadmill? So I guess there was a question in there. Um, no, no, she did not change my mind about the treadmill. Like I, I, I understand that for some of you, the treadmill is a very necessary piece of the equipment, uh, you know, necessary piece of the puzzle for some, it's a preferred piece of the puzzle for me. It's not, you know, but, but you know, if I had to work out on a treadmill, like if I didn't have any choice, I'm sure I would do it. I'm sure I'd figure it out. Maybe I'd get one of those fancy bells and whistles treadmills so I could, you know, be magically whisked away to, to Delaware or wherever, um, Wayne's world reference for those of you not paying attention at home. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I'm thankful that me and treadmill running don't have to, uh, don't have to, to be a thing. Um, but glad that you enjoyed the series, Mona, and, and hopefully others did as well. Maybe learned a few things, uh, to, especially those that maybe are on, on my side of the fence when it comes to treadmill running, but also have some weather issues where it becomes a necessary evil in the winter months. And hopefully it'll help you get through the winter, maybe change the mindset a little bit, um, which is not for nothing. Maybe something I can keep working on as well about treadmills and other, other aspects of running in life. Um, so maybe, maybe there's, there is something that, that I definitely got out of it. Just not really changing my view on the treadmill, but uh, thanks for the questions, Mona, as always speak of the devil. Next question comes from miss Thessaly herself. What running related gear or tasty treats or races would you put on your Christmas wish list, either for you to buy yourself or for a friend or someone to gift to you? So, um, wow, Thessaly, we're in, we're in, uh, the, the, the Halloween edition of the Q and a, 
You're already you're already asking about Christmas gift ideas, Christmas wish list ideas. Whew, uh, getting that cart in front of the horse. I mean, I get I get you don't want to wait for the December Q and A to ask for for holiday wish list stuff because then we're after Christmas when that episode is going to drop. Um, but at least you know, at least wait till November, right? Like, let's get through Halloween. Let's get through Thanksgiving. I'm not going to put your question off though. I'll, I'll answer it. So, you know, for, for Santa Diz this year, uh, I'm on my list of the, because let, let's, let's take a step back here. Self Santa is the best Santa because you always get what you want, never what you don't want, things like that. So the things that I'll, I'll be thinking about asking Santa Diz for this year, um, or at least, you know, some things off the top of my head and, Obviously, not all of these are like realistically going to happen this year, but here's the list from the, the show notes today. Um, I'm sure there's some other things that could be added as well, but on the show notes, we've got some good socks because uh, like my socks are holding up pretty well, my, my features that I've got, um, but you know, like I could probably use a couple more pairs. A couple of them have some, some holes in the toe from that one faulty pair of shoes, if you remember back to that story. Um, so, so yeah, you know, a couple good pairs of, sho- of socks. And if you want to put socks on your list, disruns.com slash features sliding in the affiliate link right there. Uh, send a couple shekels my way. Um, something I've been thinking about for years and never pulled the trigger on. So I'm, I'm sure that'll be continue to be the case this year. Uh, but like some compression tights, you know, I've got this, I've got the socks, I've got the sleeves, but I've never like had like full on like compression tights for the whole lower body. Um, I, I don't, I don't know that I would need them. I, I, clearly, because I haven't ever bought them, but maybe, maybe you know, a little splurge, uh, something a little more more practical that would probably be on be something that I would actually get before I got the compression site tights would be like a heavy kettlebell or a heavy dumbbell. Uh, currently, I've got you know, a set of twenty five pound dumbbells. It's the heaviest weights I've got in my in my office that are part of the routine. Uh, but there's some you know some time for some some squats or some kettlebell swings or something like that, where maybe having you know something that's closer to like 50, 60 pounds would would probably be good. Um, problem is that junk is expensive. Uh, a weight that heavy is expensive, but it'll last forever. Right. So, you know, you get, get it once and good to go. Uh, but it would be nice to have a heavier kettlebell, uh, for just some of the functionality and the, and the opportunities or the, the, you know, the different exercises that I could challenge myself with that way. Um, maybe like a foot pod, you know, one of those things that, that kind of helps to, uh, to keep an eye on, uh, you know, uh, ground force and how long the foot's on the ground and motion and things like that. I don't know how much I would like really rely on it. So again, I'm, I'm, I'm stingy with the, with the narrow. So, uh, not ready to necessarily pull the trigger on that. But if somebody was going to go shopping for me, like, eh, maybe, maybe, um, you know, I've been thinking about getting a new tattoo for a while. So I guess maybe that, um, thinking about getting a new running dog, going to, going to retire Bailey one of these days. Um, so that's been on the list for a while. Again, probably not really a Christmas. Like I'm not a big, like get a dog for Christmas type of situation, but like that's been on the list for a while. And, and maybe, maybe, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, 50 States metal hanger. That's been on the list for a while as well. Um, but it's gotta be the right one. And, and I don't know exactly what the right one is yet. I've looked a few times, never really thought about getting one or never like been close to getting one, but something like that, because, uh, you know, starting to get enough metals that need to kind of maybe have a couple of different displays. Uh, so maybe a 50 States one and then the general one. Um, so that, you know, always good for some, some good gin, um, some good dark chocolate, dark chocolate. Um, I don't know, you know, like, like I'm, I'm easy to shop for and I'm impossible to shop for both when it comes to asking other people to shop for me and for myself, because like, I don't know, you know, whatever. I don't really need anything. I'm good, but I'll take something, but I don't want something that's just kind of meh, you know? So eh, I don't know, but that's, that's, that's my list as of now. 
as of as of pre-Halloween, when I haven't even started thinking about Thanksgiving yet, and you're asking me for a Christmas gift ideas, there's there's a little something. Um, more, more to come. I'm sure once, once, you know, it stops feeling like summer outside and starts to actually feel like, like maybe fall, which follows Christmas season down here. So, you know, to be, to be determined, but thank you for the question, Miss Thessaly. Next question coming from Rob. Is it possible to not require as much support in shoes as feet and legs get stronger? How slash when is the best way to introduce new types of shoes with less drop and less cushion or to at least experiment with them? Thanks. So Rob, absolutely. Absolutely. And it, but it's, it's tricky. It's, it's, a, it's a tricky needle to thread here. Um, I'll try to explain it as clearly as I can. Uh, but yes, as your feet get stronger, as your legs get stronger, ankles, things like that, of course you don't, not of course. You could definitely make an argument that you don't need as much support from your shoes because your body is anatomically more able to support yourself, right? It's more able to withstand the forces, hold up over time, not not fatigue and, and start to collapse and, and the arch, things like that, which can cause problems in the in later races or, you know, longer races, later, you know, longer amount of time on your feet. Um, so, yeah, that can happen. Absolutely. That said, your feet and ankles aren't necessarily likely to get stronger in that way if you're always wearing the supportive shoes. So like you might be running more, right? Like I, I don't know what the numbers is, but let's say you're running twice as much mileage this year as you were last year, okay? But you're still wearing the supportive shoes most of the time. I wouldn't say that that means that your feet are twice as strong as they used to be. Now, if you're going barefoot around the house, doing some, doing some, maybe some barefoot running in the grass a little bit here and there, or, you know, just again, just doing some things outside of running that, that get your feet out of that, the, the supportive shoes to help your feet and your lower legs get stronger. Well, then that might be a different story, but just because you're running more doesn't mean your feet are getting stronger. If they're constantly being, you know, in the shoes and then in shoes at work and in shoes when you're around the house and yada, yada, yada. That said, either, either way. Either situation, what is the best way to kind of introduce some new shoes with less drop and less cushion or less less support to kind of experiment with and see how it goes? Um, a little bit at a time. So start with like a short run, a short, easy run, and, and just kind of see how it goes. When you're doing a longer run, when you're doing a workout, stick with the more supportive shoes at first. And you just kind of, it's, it's a gradual, gradual transition. You know, maybe it's, it's something where you do it once a week for like a three mile easy, easy run. And then, you know, give it a couple of weeks, make sure there's no issues that crop up. Feet feel good. Legs feel good. Shins feel good. All that good stuff. And then maybe you do a couple times a week in those shorter runs, or maybe you do, you know, a, a longer, but still easy run. So instead of being a short three miler, maybe it, it becomes a sh- a, a, an easy six miler or whatever is relative to, to you, Rob, based on where you are. And obviously scaled up and down for anybody else who's in a similar situation. Uh, and then you kind of see how that goes. And, and over time, you can start to say, yeah, this is working. Yeah, my, my body feels good. Um, I want to maybe get out of the more supportive shoes into a, a, a lower profile, lower cushion shoe. And you, and you just transition over time. Um, if things start to, to not feel right, you can always go back to the other shoe for a little bit. Give your body a little bit of a break. Nothing wrong with that. It, it's, it's an ebb and flow, though. It's, and it's not something where you need to be like, you know, when my mileage is at X, I can, I can do Y. Or when my... Um, you know, when I've been, when I've been kind of rotating or, or going back and forth for X number of weeks, once I get to that point, then I can just go cold Turkey the rest of the way. Like, I don't know, like you, you maybe could, but then you're asking for, for trouble, right? Or at least you're opening the door for a, a better probability of 
your body kind of revolting with all of a sudden having, you know, much less support. So ease into it back and forth. Um, you know, try some different things, make sure you're taking care of your body with foam rolling and stretching and those types of things, strengthening, doing some toe yoga, all those types of things to keep your feet strong. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it's just, it's just a process and, and it is an experiment, you know, to at least experiment to kind of the end of your question. Like that's what it is ultimately going to be. And you know, two steps forward, one step back once in a while might happen. But if you, if you ease into it slowly and gradually and you, and your, your feet are strong and your, your lower leg muscles are, are, are strong and, and there's some stability balance, things like that. Um, you might find that a little bit less shoe actually is better for you as far as performance, as far as how you feel, uh, as far as aches and pains, form improvements, things like that. Um, not saying you not guaranteeing it, but that's kind of the kind of things that I've found over the years when I, when I have, uh, thicker soled shoes on, even if they're still zero drop, but they they got more sole to them. Um, I can kind of get a little bit more sloppy with my form, a little bit less efficient as a runner. Um, and then when I switch back to something that's, a, that's a thinner, a, a, a thinner zero drop or a less cushioned, more, more basic zero drop that kind of, sh- you know, gets me back, shocks me back into place and, and my performance kind of improves a little bit. So something to think about, certainly something to play with, not something to force. That's for sure. So hope all that makes sense, Rob. Good luck. Next couple questions from Brooke. Are there any tips or tricks to make it cheaper or easier when trying to check off running a marathon in every state? Um, so kind of like, like Tom's question earlier, Brooke, I kind of gave a hint there that, that one way to do it is to, to try to go back to back, you know, a couple marathons, either in the same weekend, or if you're going to be on vacation somewhere and, and, you know, if you're in vacation in new England, just, we'll just, we'll just throw new England under the bus because the States are, are a lot easier to get from one to the other. Um, and, and have a couple, couple of options of one to the other than, as opposed to like, you know, if you're in Nevada, I guess you still have a handful of, of options to choose from, but you might be on one side of Nevada and getting to getting to New Mexico isn't, uh, isn't conducive if you're in Reno. Right. Um, but, but what I'm trying to get at is maybe you're, you're in, you're in a New England vacation next summer for a week, right? If you can find a race in Maine, I'm just picking states here, but like if you find a race in Maine at the start of the, the vacation, so you start your vacation, you run your marathon there, then you enjoy the, all the lobster rolls and, you know, sunrises and all those types of things that you can get. And then before you head back home at the end of vacation, you can knock off, you know, Vermont or Rhode Island or something like that. That's close by, uh, at the end of the trip, knock off two, two marathons or two state, two half marathons, two, whatever, two states in the same vacation that you were going to go on the vacation anyway, you know, maybe that works out. Or maybe you kind of, you know, which comes first, the vacation or the races, you you plan your vacation around the races, you plan your race around the vacations, but you're looking at at ways to go two birds, one stone. Also, if you're traveling for other reasons, you're traveling for work, you're traveling to visit family, you're you're traveling for any, any number of reasons. If you're already going to be, you know, someplace that's, that's not where you would normally, you know, not in your home state or the, the states that are really close by, um, you know, you're already traveling there anyway. Can you find a race, knock that off? So, so that you're, you're saving on at least travel expenses twice and hotel expenses twice, because you know, I had been, been there, done that good to go. You can also do what I do and just be like, Hey, you know, uh, concierge coaching, sign up part of the, part of your, your fee that you pay every month is that I'll come and, and pace you for races, um, and, and run with you and support you and be your personal pacer at a race. And hopefully if people, uh, you know, a couple of people start taking me up on that, then, then, you know, I'm getting other people 
in, in a weird sort of way, but in a not wrong way, I'm getting other people to pay for my travel and my race experience. Now, obviously in that situation, uh, to, to, to be, I mean, again, like that's ultimately what's happening, but, it, but don't get it twisted that, that if somebody hires me at the concierge level that I'm going there to run my race. No, 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 no. I'm going there to run their race. So it might be slower. It might be faster. I might blow up like whatever. There's a whole host of other things going on, on there. But you know, if I, if I start and run 26.2 miles, does it count? I mean, I think so. So, you know, there's, there's maybe some ways to get it, make it creative, uh, you know, dot, dot, dot disruns.com slash concierge. If you're so inclined to, uh, help me get, help me help you help me get to my 50 state goal. If that, I'm not sure that's the best selling factor there. That, that's the angle that I should try to, to sell that, that coaching option on. Um, but again, you know, if there's, I guess the moral of the story, are there ways to be creative to make something like hap- that happen? You know, I, I know that, that part of my goal back in the day that I don't know if it really is still there because I just don't know that the speaking thing at the, at the conventions for, you know, pre-race packet pickup stuff, the expos is really that big of a deal. But that was part of the, the goal then was like, Hey, if I can go speak at some places, um, and there still may be opportunities for, for that down the road for me, as far as, um, you know, partnering up with races and being, being there and, and helping to promote and support and, and, um, also get to go run the races for free or things like that. So, you know, like get creative Are there, again, in, in obviously not everybody is in my situation where running is kind of like the job. Um, or at least tangentially related to the job. But, you know, if there's, if there, again, if there's ways that you can travel for business and, and you can get business to, to tr- cover your expenses because you, you, you've got to, you, you know, you're going to be in wherever for a, a weekend conference and you can sneak out that morning to, to run a race before the, the conference gets going or before you return flight. Well, there you go. You know, now all, all you're out is the, the, the registration fee, but all the, the, travel expenses are covered. I mean, you know, that's not a bad option. So you're going to get creative a little bit. Um, you know, it's not going to be cheap and I don't know that it's going to be easy, but there are some ways to maybe try to save a few bucks and make it happen. Whether it's doubling up races, combining travel for other things for a race. Um, of course then there's looking for deals and things like that, but that's just kind of, you got to be at the right place at the right time. But, uh, you know, I mean, I think, I think at the end of the day, you got to remember that if you have a goal to run a, a race in every state, um, you know, that, that goal is going to come with a, a price tag and it's going to take a, take a, take some, some money to, to make it all happen. Um, but that's, you know, the, 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 maybe the, the good news on that is that you don't have to do it all in a year or two years or whatever. Like you can, you can take your time and, and make it happen over, over the course of some years, which leads to Brooks. Next question. Do you have a goal time set for when you want to check off all 50 States on, on my, uh, challenge of, of trying to run a marathon in every state? And the answer is no. Um, I certainly want to do it. You know, like, like I recognize that the older I get, maybe the, the more difficult it may be to like run marathons and things like that. So I'd like to not wait, you know, another 30, 40 years to get it, get it done. Um, but you know, if I can get it done by the time I'm 50, I mean, that gives me almost 10 years. Like that would be great. 55 also great. Um, like, yes, it's a goal. Yes. It's something I want to work on doing. Yes. I want something I want to keep chipping away at and, you know, with, with, coaching options or speaking options or different things. When opportunities present, I'm going to take advantage of them. Um, but at the, at the end of the day, like it's not my number one priority, right? Like, like being home with the, with the girls helping, you know, as Addison grows up and what things that she might get into and, and things like that. Uh, I mean, those things are going to be more important 
than you know an arbitrary time goal of like I really want to get this 50 states done by the time I'm 45 or or 57 or whatever. Um, we'll take them when when they come. Hopefully, you know we're getting to that point where maybe some traveling, some family vacations, things like that. And again, combine that with a marathon in a state or two uh, to kind of help work away at it. Um, but no, I don't have a, a, a set time goal um, because it's not, it's a, it's a goal certainly. And it's a priority. It's something I want to achieve, but it's not something that I, that is high enough on the list that I'm going to sacrifice other things to, to make that happen. So hope that makes a little bit of sense. Uh, next question from Brooke. When are, when are we going to hear you play a song on the guitar? Probably not very often. Um, a, cause I'm not that good B because I mean, for every one person that might want to hear that there's, there's a thousand of you that have no desire. Um, uh, but if you're so inclined, not that I played like a full song through or anything like that, but I don't know, was it a year ago? It was a while ago, but I did post a video on Facebook called out by, uh, the, the, by, by Brian himself. Um, the man from the, the man from, uh, oh gosh, I can never remember which province he's from. He's from Canada. We know that. Um, but Brian called me out and, and asked me to, to play a, to post a video of me playing. And I, I don't know, it was a five minute video of a, of a handful of songs, different riffs from different songs. So if you're so inclined, you can find that in the, the archives and maybe, maybe if you're lucky, Brooke, I'll, uh, go ahead and, and post a link in the, uh, in the blog post for today, back to that post. You can check it out. Uh, various Dave Matthews songs and a couple of other songs as well, uh, that you'll probably, probably rec- hopefully recognize one or two of them, at least, uh, of some things that I've picked up on, on the guitar dabbling over the last couple of years. Uh, last question from book Brooke. I already have circulation issues, especially in my legs. Do you think running makes this worse or helps? And do you have any tips to help help with this? I already wear support socks daily, even to work. Thank you. So I, I think that, and, and this is, this is the surface level of knowledge. I didn't like dive back in, but but yes, I think running can help, but I think it also can, can make it worse a little bit in, in a weird sort of way as well. So when you're running, that's, that's helping create, you know, the, the, the pressure in the, in the circulatory system, helping the blood get back to the, to the, uh, to the heart, you know, you, you're, it's pumping to your lungs, of course, but then it's, it's coming back up as well. Um, but at the end of a run or at a, at a long run or a hard workout, um, I mean, the, the blood tends to pool in the legs for all of us. And so if you're already having some circulatory issues, it can, it can definitely make it worse. So, you know, it's kind of one of those where, where depending on how you're feeling, what the run's looking like, you know, what the specifics of your run are, it could help, could, it could make things a little more uncomfortable for a while. Um, but as far as tips to, to help it, hopefully help with your circulation, you know, issues, I think that the, the key is to work with your body as much as possible. So like you said, you wear compression socks or support socks daily. That certainly helps. Um, maybe you, you up the ante a little bit and, and at the end of the day or after a, a good run or whatever, things like that, you, you, you do some, you know, legs up the wall, um, pose, although I don't know that it's a pose necessarily, but you know, you like you, you lay on your back, uh, you know, with with your backside up against the, the, the base of the wall or close to the base of the wall and just put your feet up on the wall so that gravity is helping to pull some of that, that blood and, and just the circular, you know, just whatever is, fluids are pooling in your legs helping to pull those out of your, out of your ankles, out of your calves and get absorbed by the body and, and circulate back to the heart and be, be filtered out and, and, you know, just improves the circulation basically. Um, that can help, um, you know, and just, and just figuring out different, different tips and tactics, you know, being well hydrated, that can help the more, more, um, 
volume of blood the, the kind of the it can it can be a little bit of a blood pressure increase but a little bit of a blood pressure increase can also help with the the venous return in in your body so it helps with with circulation that way so it's 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 circulatory issues from what i know and i'm not claiming to be an expert here this is not something that i have a lot of experience with or, or anything like that but from what i know it's the type of thing that a lot of times you got to kind of come at it from a couple different directions so i think running can be a can be a help but again, like immediately post run, it can cause some problems or at least can be a, a, a hurdle that you have to overcome, but compression gear, legs up the wall, or just elevating your legs to let gravity kind of help with it as well, or just to make it less difficult for your body to pump the blood out of your legs because it doesn't have to fight against gravity as much. Um, hydration, things like that, maybe a little bit of massage. Um, maybe there's a, there's a, a call for foam rolling in there somehow, um, but, you know, kind of hitting it from different angles, hopefully you can find the right mix, the right cocktail that works for you um, to help it become less of an issue uh, on a day-to-day basis. But, um, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't feel like running needs to be something you need to avoid, but strategic running or, or um, you know, just being, being strategic in, in how you recover after some longer runs especially um, might go a long way towards helping, helping it be less of an issue you know, it might be 10 minutes on, uh, you know, with your feet up the wall after a run might make a world of difference for you. And then, you know, five, 10 minutes at the end of each day might, I mean, that might be the simple, a simple, not, not solution, but simple tactic to help make it a lot less of a problem for you on a day-to-day basis. So good luck, Brooke. And thanks for the questions this month. Next question. Next two questions, two or two or three questions, two questions, next couple questions. However it is, we'll shake it out uh, from Samantha. How should I break my very bad habit of signing up for half marathons than always finding a reason to bail? In my mind, I would love to run another one, but in reality, when I get to running six miles, I don't have the desire to go any farther. So Samantha, you know, that's, that's a good question. That's a good question. Um, and, and I think that my answer, at least my, my, my initial answer, and this, this is one that might require a little bit of unpacking, a little bit of, of introspection, a little bit of, of kind of chewing on it for a while. Um, but obviously, you know, if you're signed up for races, then you don't do it. You don't, ba- you, you bail out on, on the half marathons. Um, I mean, the, the simple answer is we'll just stop signing up for half marathons, but, but I, I don't mean to be dismissive by, by just offering that as an answer because, you know, like, like I'm sure that when you sign up, you have the best of intentions. Like I, I want to do this, but then the training starts to get, get going. Um, it starts to ramp up. You get to six miles. You don't have the desire to go any further. Well, then that becomes a problem, Right. So, you know, w- would it maybe be possible? Well, first of all, if you're not having fun, then, then don't do it. So if you enjoy runs of six miles or so and, and less, um, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, that's awesome. And lean into that. Enjoy those runs. Uh, over time, you might find that you like to, you, you don't mind stretching out a little bit farther and then, you know, sign up for half marathons might be something that, that would be great then because it, it, it you know, is, is, you, you get over that six mile hump and, and you're ready to go. But in the meantime, why not try to find some, some 10 Ks, you know, 10 K is 6.2 miles. So if you're already running about six miles and, and being okay there, um, maybe, maybe the 10 K becomes your jam for a while and, and you don't worry about the half marathon right now. Um, nothing says you can't ever go back to the half marathon if you want to down the road and a lot of races, not all, but a lot of races that have a, a, a you know, a half marathon component, some of them are going to have a 10 K. So you can still get the, the, the quote unquote bigger race day or race experience of, of some of the, the, you know, whether it's a bigger city or bigger town or, or an event, whatever, 
um, without feeling like you have to do the half marathon. So you sign up for the 10K, you still get the, the pomp and the circumstance and all the things. Uh, maybe you run more local races that are that are a little bit smaller. You find some 10Ks that, that offer those those options um, or some 8Ks or some you know some various different distances that are in your in your wheelhouse and just lean into what you're enjoying. You know, you don't have the desire to go any farther than six miles. Then I guess maybe my slightly tough love answer is don't go any farther than six miles. Sign up for the shorter races, enjoy those, have fun with them. And if slash when you you start to enjoy stretching out your, your runs longer than six miles, then look up a half marathon again. But until then, you know, life's too short to be doing well, wrong way of saying it. Not that life's too short, but like life demands that we do enough things that we don't enjoy doing on a semi-regular basis, whether it's, you know, work, whether it's paying taxes, whether it's, it's, you know, just different, different aspects of life, different aspects of parenting, different aspects of social interactions, so whatever, right? Like there's plenty of things that we all have to just take our medicine, pull up our, our big boy and big girl panties and just do it. Right. I don't feel like something that's, that should be a leisure activity, like running. I don't feel like that should be one of those things. Right. Like, like, and I, and I, and I say that now I'm painting myself in a corner because like, there are plenty of times that I don't feel like going for a run. There, there are plenty of times that, that going for, um, you know, a long run is not my necessary ideal favorite thing to do. But once I get out there, like I'm fine and it's good and I'm happy I did right from your question. I don't get the feeling that that's the case for you. That it's not just something where you just got to get over the hump and once you get started, then you're good to go for six or seven or eight miles. Because I feel like if that was the case, signing up for a half marathon would help you get over the hump and keep you going. And, and that would be a good thing to do. You wouldn't be bailing on the race. So seeing as that's the, is that's, if I'm reading into the question correctly, Samantha, and again, this is to anybody else that's in similar situations, because I've been there and I know other folks have been as well, like lean into what you enjoy doing. Running is something that, you're, that, that we do because it's fun. We do because it, we enjoy it. And so more often than not, like, like that should be our guide. If, if running half marathons or marathons or five K's or whatever is not fun for you, find the aspect of running that is fun for you. Maybe it's not races at all right now. Maybe it's just, it's the, it's the, the Saturday morning or the Sunday morning coffee shop run where you can meet a couple of friends, go for, go for an hour, come back, have coffee or mimosas or both or brunch or whatever. And, and that's what you need right now. And that's fun. And it's, you enjoy it and don't even worry about racing. Maybe it's 10 K's, maybe it's something else, maybe it's some trail time, you know, but, but I guess my, my encouragement that I don't know, this helps to break the bad habit of signing up for half marathons and then bailing. But my, my encouragement, Samantha would be to lean into the things that you enjoy. It doesn't sound like you enjoy half marathons right now or anything longer than six miles. So don't put any pressure on yourself to do that. If you can try to avoid that by just saying, Hey, not right now, maybe someday. All right. I hope that helps. I know that it's, it's a late, like I said, it's, it's going to be something that is going to probably require a little bit of chewing on a little bit of introspection, happy to try to help more, uh, whether we need to get on a call or, or just have some chat back and forth on, on, in the Facebook group. Um, but good luck, good luck. Cause, cause ultimately you need to, you need to enjoy your running more often than not. Um, I would say all the time as much as possible. Um, and so don't feel like you have to do anything else if it's not bringing you that joy that, that running should bring. Uh, next question from Samantha, cold weather running gear recommendations, specifically bottoms. You know, I, living in Florida, I love it when y'all ask me for cold weather running gear recommendations, because for me, that's like shorts and uh, a windbreaker. That's, that's, that's what I need for cold weather gear. Um, 
admittedly that doesn't work for for those of you that live you know not in florida um maybe somewhere not in south texas or various other southern southern locales some of you need a lot more although although i think if you ask lesterberg what do you need for cold weather running gear he would also say like shorts and a windbreaker because fargo and something about the cold messes up your head and and whatever um <laughs> love you john but uh samantha to your to your your question uh a couple things that i would would point out um and i'll i'll try to remember to to tag you in a post from a couple years ago um or somewhere i'll try to find it um where i kind of basically asked what are good cold weather running gear recommendations and maybe that can help you find some some things specific things but as far as um just general things to keep in mind in my experience, and this is this is kind of across the board for running gear, and it's not perfect, it's not universal, but especially for cold weather gear, um, you kind of get what you pay for, right? So, like, good cold weather running gear is not cheap, but it's worth it. So maybe you get one or two things this year, take care of them, um, and then next year you get one or two other things. And after the course of a couple of years, you've got a pretty wide array of different bottoms that are for certain temperatures or certain, you know, things that, that have, have different features or, you know, whatever, like some of the different options out there, you collect them over the course of years, instead of trying to get a whole bunch of things this year, but because you don't have lots of money to spend, then you're, you're cutting corners and you're trying to, to, to find the cheaper options. And those things tend to fall apart. They may not, maybe not keep you as warm in the winter months, um, they, or they don't breathe. So then you start sweating, um, which leads me to the second second thing to keep in mind when it comes to, to running gear, running clothes for cold weather. Um, I think the loose rule of thumb is you want to you want to dress for temperatures that are like ten to fifteen degrees cooler than what the actual temperatures are, because you don't want to overheat. So yes, it's going to be a little bit chilly for the first mile or two, but once you get going, you start generating some body heat. It'll, it'll kind of level out um, because the last thing you want to do is start sweating a bunch when it's cold outside because then if you do stop running and start walking for a minute, your temperature can drop pretty quickly. So you want something that breathes, something that um, um, you want to maybe air on the side of a little bit less that is more and get quality. Um, and again, I'll try to tag you in the the post if I can find it from a couple years ago where people were talking about brands and different styles and things like that. Um, and maybe, maybe that's something that we should dust off again and have an updated post on that, uh, as, as the weather's starting getting colder, because again, I know that I'm not good when it comes to different brands, because quite frankly, I don't need different brands of cold, cold gear. Um, so it's not, not exactly my wheelhouse, even though growing up in Michigan, I know cold stuff, but wasn't a runner in back in the day. Um, so, you know, Carhartt was my kind of go-to probably not the best in terms of running gear. Uh, for winter months. So stay tuned, Samantha, but thank you for the question. Good, some, some, hopefully some things to keep in mind. Last but not least, what is your favorite Halloween movie? Um, I'm not sure that this is a, a good question for me because I'm not really a big kind of scary slasher type of, you know, when I think of Halloween movies, I think of like the Halloween movies. I think of Friday the 13th, uh, Freddy Krueger's, things like that. Um, and those just aren't my jam. Like the, those, those are not movies that I enjoy. Um, so I guess if I had to answer... Like, I don't know if it even counts as a Halloween movie. I think I would go with, with Adam's family with Raul Julia and, and Angelica Houston. Um, that one was a favorite of mine as a kid. Still love it. Um, you know, another, another one that might be more of a, and I, but I don't know if that counts as a Halloween movie. Like it's an Adam's family movie. Is it a Halloween movie? Like, eh, I don't know. Um, but then maybe another one would be nightmare before Christmas, which again, is it a Halloween movie? Is it a Christmas movie? I think it's a Halloween movie. 
Um, but that's a fun one. Um, but those, those would be kind of my two, I guess that come to mind. Not a big Halloween movie fan, more of a Halloween TV show. Like, like I like a sitcom that has a Halloween themed episode way more than I like Halloween movies. Cause it's still sitcoms. So it's still funny. Um, which is much more of my wheelhouse, but thank you for the question, Samantha. Hope, hope they were a little bit helpful. I know it got a little bit rambly there, but, uh, hopefully something useful came out. Appreciate your questions. Uh, next question from weasel. It's great. I hope I'm saying that right. I mean, it's, it's exactly how it's spelled. I hope, I hope I'm getting it right. Weasel. Uh, if it, I mean, I can't think of anything else. It would be great name. Great name. How long should your taper be is the question. Um, and this is one of those questions that like, it's impossible to answer because there's so many variables, it, you know, and, and maybe the, the, uh, the, the, the kind of dismissive answer that's not really dismissive, but it's probably the best answer. Quite honestly, if you can get past the dismissiveness of it would be, it should be as long as it needs to be. Well, how long is that? You probably are asking very good question. Um, I think that it depends based on factors such as how long you've been running, what your base is like, how your training has gone, what distance the race is that you're, that you're tapering for, what your goals are for the race. Um, I don't know how many times you've run the race before. I think that maybe factors in a little bit. Um, and all those, all those different factors and probably a handful of other ones that I didn't think of, um, kind of combined to say that like, Sometimes taper might really only should be a handful of days for like a shorter race. You know, I've, I've seen people that taper a little bit for like a 5k, 10k, um, not like massively, but you know, a couple days of, of, you know, really dialing things back before the race day, like makes sense. Um, certainly, you know, 10 days, two weeks for longer distance races, maybe even three weeks. I know, you know, Laura, uh, who's been on the show a couple of times, Laura is one of the, the other running coaches that I meet with on a regular basis, her and you know, Laura Norris and, and Nora bird. Um, I know that Laura tends to, at least my impression is after six years of, of us meeting together, um, or five years or whatever it's been, it's been a while. Uh, we've gotten to know each other well over the years, but, but my impression of her coaching style, she tends to lean towards more like the last long run is like three weeks before the race. So kind of like a three week taper. I'm more of a two week as a, as a general starting point, but there's been times where I've had people do less than a week for a marathon or just a week for a marathon, depending on again, like there's so many variables. I don't want you to say to hear that, like, Oh my God, just a, a week long taper. Like, yeah. Based on how things kind of shook out with life and training, like that's kind of how it worked out and it made sense. Right. There's been times that I've gone three and four weeks since the, the last long run. And that makes sense. Um, it should be as long as it needs to be, but not necessarily any longer. Um, but again, needs is, is there's a lot of things that come into play. It's just a term of life and schedule and, and, Lots of things that, that go into it. So just, I guess maybe the, the important point to, or the important thing to stress here, Weasel, is that your your taper period is, the goal is to get your legs to recover, to be refreshed, to be bounced back and ready to go. Um, some people need longer. Some people need shorter. Err on the side of giving yourself more time, um, but don't, don't feel like it has to be any certain distance or any certain duration because there's so many factors that can come into it. Um, and depending on how your training is gone or, or how it maybe hasn't gone, you might not need that much of a taper period because your legs might not be that worn down because things haven't been as, as consistent as you'd want or life got in the way or things like that. So then maybe you don't need as much of a taper because you don't have this buildup of fatigue that maybe you would have wanted to have when you started your training, if that makes sense. So good question. Lots of layers to it. Sorry for such a vague answer, but it's kind of a, it's like, that's to me, that's the best answer is however long you need it to be. Um, and that's going to depend not only from person to person, 
but maybe this is another important piece to consider. It's going to also depend within the same individual from training cycle to training cycle, year to year. You know, what you needed for your last race, maybe more, maybe less than what you need for this race based on training goals, ambitions, all those types of things. So thank you for the question, my friend. And I know you joined the the group recently. Welcome. Welcome to the party. Glad you uh, jumped into the first Q and a that we've had since you joined the group. Next question from Karen. What are the signs of a pending marathon addiction? I ran Chicago and it hurts so bad, but I want to do another one. Am I going insane? Yeah. Sounds like it. Karen. Welcome. Welcome to club 26.2. Um, you're one of us, you're one of us. Um, although I have to say, and, and some of you have heard the you know bits and bits of this story before, um, for you to have run Chicago and just a couple weeks later, you're, you're chomping at the bit to do another one. Um, that's, uh, that's, that's more rapid than it took me to get there. It took me months to get there to even thinking about maybe doing another one. Um, and even then I got, I got peer pressure into it. It wasn't that I wanted to do it. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that, uh, you're on, you're on the way to uh, a full flown, uh, addiction to, uh, marathon running. Um, but you're also, you're in good company. I, whether or not you consider me good company, uh, there's plenty of others in this group and, and beyond, uh, who are definitely, um, love, love that 26.2 and, and just getting out there and being around people. Um, so yeah, one of us, you are one of us now, Karen, welcome to the club. Uh, thank you for the question. And hopefully your uh, recovery from Chicago is going well, going well. Next couple questions from Dylan. Uh, this has probably been asked before, but what are some of the best cross training workouts that will make you a better runner? Bear with me. This is my first time actually asking a question, even though the Q and a episodes are my favorites. Well, Dylan, welcome to the party. Glad you could join us. Glad you could chime in for a, a little Q and a question here. Um, and I, I mean, I think it's a great question. I think it's a really good question. And here's my dismissive answer that I don't mean in a dismissive way, but maybe my TLDR, is it TLDR or would it be TLDL? Because you're not reading, you're listening more than likely. Uh, anyway, my, my, my short answer is that the best cross training workouts that will make you a better runner are the ones you're most likely to do. Unpacking that a little bit, um, I think that there's a few things. One, we've talked about this a few times over the years, but I think that it's easy to get misconstrued when we're talking about cross training. What are we talking about? So for me, when I talk about cross training, what, at least what I have in my head is that we're talking about cardiovascular activities that are not running. So it's cycling, swimming, rowing, hiking, rollerblading, like any of those types of things, um, any cardio exercise. Some people lump yoga, strength training, stretching, those types of things into cross training. Um, I mean, I don't, but I don't necessarily think that it's wrong to, I think it's just to be, we just need to be clear on what we're talking about. I think that strength training is a great thing to do. Something that, that again, to me, it gets its own, its own category. Um, and will definitely make you a better runner. So if, if, if strength training falls under your umbrella of cross training, yeah, that might be the answer. If we're looking at my definition of cross training, cardiovascular based activities, um, I think I've heard it said before, and I, I don't think it's inaccurate to say that the, the activities that most closely mimic the running movement are going to be the most beneficial towards helping you improve as a runner. I think you can make that argument. So things like walking or hiking, things like the elliptical, <coughs> you know, where, where you're basically doing the running movement, but you're taking the force away. You're taking the pounding away. Um, you know, those, those are probably going to be pretty good options. 
the flip side of that though, and the argument that, that I think you could also make is that doing something that's not as closely related to the running movement could be equally or more beneficial because you're working some different muscles. You're stressing your body in some different ways. So maybe some of those, those muscles and tendons that might be getting a little wear and tear from running by adding some cross training to the mix, you're giving those a chance to breathe. But if your cross training is the elliptical, which is basically the same running movement, you're still working your hip flexors the same. You're still working, you know, your glutes the same. You're still working, you're still putting the same stresses on very similar stresses on the same body parts. And so they don't get as much of a chance to, to kind of recover versus if you get on the bike, get in the pool, get on the rowing machine, something like that, where you're still getting a good workout. You're still, you're still building that cardio fitness, but your, your body is working a different way. You got different muscles fiber, firing. Maybe you're working your upper body a little bit more. Um, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that makes you a better all around athlete, which has a chance, pretty good chance, quite frankly, to make you a better runner as well. But again, I go back to my original answer. The, the best cross training, again, from my definition of cross training, the best cross training workouts that are going to make you a better runner are the ones you're most likely to do. So like, if you want to go with the argument that, that elliptical is going to be the best, but you absolutely hate being on the freaking elliptical, don't torture yourself. Get a bike, get in the pool, go for a hike. Those things are going to help you and you're going to enjoy it, which means you're going to be more likely to be consistent with it. It means you're more likely going to lean into it instead of like, all right, I got my 20 minutes in, I, I, I you know, done, I'm done. Like, no, like if you, if you're doing something that you enjoy, you're going to get 20 minutes and you're gonna be like, hell, I'll do another 10. I'll do another 15. I'll do another hour. And pretty soon, like, like you're really, you know, leaning into it, doing it, being consistent with it. And that's where it's going to pay off. So, so ultimately that's, that's the answer for me. That's the spin bike for me. That's the thing I enjoy the most because I can put on a Peloton ride. I can put on the game on TV. I can put, I can put something on, which I know that flies in all, all of the, the flies in the face of all of the reasons I, I dislike the treadmill, even though I could do all those things on a treadmill, D- don't at me. That, that's a different conversation. And I get the hypocrisy of it and I, I don't have a good explanation, but for me on the spin bike, I can do all those things and I'm good to go. So that's, what's best for me. Again, I don't do it as much as I probably should as much as I would, would like to, but I'm more likely to do that. than I'm more likely to go up to the fitness center and jump on the, the elliptical, you know, or to go to the pool or to go for a hike or get on the rowing machine. All things I have access to, but all things that I'm way less likely to do than, than spin biking. So that's the one that's best for me because it's the one I'm most likely to do, even if I don't do it as much as I should, if that makes sense. So thanks for the question, Dylan. Hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully you'll, you'll join us again uh, in, in, in future months, whether it's, whether it's next month, whether you need a break, you know, whatever. Uh, but we're not going anywhere. Although you do have another question, so we'll get to the second one. Uh, but thanks for the questions this month, my friend. Second one, non-running question. I won't ask about the status of your book. Appreciated. Um, but do you need a writing accountability partner? Now that my friend is an interesting question and one that, uh, might, might be, yes, might be, yes, that might be helpful. Um, realistically, there's a few other loose ends and some other areas of, of my business world that I need to, t- that I need to really take care of before I can like even pretend to like lock in on the book. But, uh, if you're, if you're asking for a friend or if you're asking for yourself, uh, let me know. Um, because that could be something I could see being very helpful, whether it's, you know, another few weeks down the road, maybe the first part of next year. Um, yes, that might be helpful. Um, I like, I like the possibility of that I like how that sounds. So, uh, yeah, I guess yes is the answer. I think that might be, that might be the thing that would really help me get kickstarted and really make it happen. And so if you're, uh, volunteering, 
I might just be very intrigued on taking you up with it. So slide into the DMs, Dylan. That would be something I'd, I'd love to talk to you about. But thank you for uh, thank you for bringing it up. And again, thanks for the questions. Hopefully, uh, won't take you too many more months to uh, jump back in uh, with some more. But appreciate you. Next question from Liz kind of ties back to a previous question from Rob as well. How long did it take you to transition to ultras? So, um, you know, this is kind of one of those like, where, where do we start the clock? I would say it took like two years ish. Um, but you could maybe say it took me six months depending on, again, depending on where you just wanted to start the clock. So, um, if we, if we re- rewind back to before I started wearing ultras before I maybe had even heard of ultras, I kind of figured out somewhat happenstance, probably from like runner's world back when runner's world was actually worth reading that, um, that like, Oh, maybe the reason my legs hurt all the time after any run longer than like four or five miles is because I'm heel striking overstriding heel striking like, Whoa. And so I was still just wearing kind of, you know, whatever basic new balances or a six or something like I, I would get some running shoes, mostly from like rack room sports, uh, or rack room shoes or whatever, like, like, you know, whatever kind of they had there that, that felt good. It was kind of cheap. Um, and thankfully, like I never had any real problems with that. I was just an over strider. And so at that point, it's kind of like thinking about giving up running, uh, read this article. So, all right. Well, maybe, maybe if I stop overstriding as much, maybe if I kind of get, it was kind of the, the, the boom or like the, like when, when four foot or midfoot strike was kind of starting to become, you know, the, the, the thing. So I was like, well, I'll give it a shot. And I spent probably a year plus or minus, but probably about a year focused on overhauling my, my form, overhauling my gait so that I, I became more of a midfoot, four foot striker and, and really stopped overstride and stopped heel, stopped heel striking. Again, that took like a year and I hadn't changed shoes at all. It was just, I was trying to, to retrain my muscle memory, retrain my, my body. At that point, once that became pretty natural, once I was like, oh wow, I can run eight miles, 10 miles and not have massive shin splints and knee pain and shin pain and, and all those types of things that like was a constant for me. Uh, I was like, all right, well maybe, and that was kind of when I started hearing about ultras, I was like, well, maybe there's something to this, but like the shoes I was wearing were probably like a 10 or 12 millimeter drop. And like something from my physiology exercise, you know, exercise phys kinesiology background, my, my athletic training background was like, I knew that trying to go from that to ultras to a zero drop was like a big difference. And that might be asking for trouble. Um, so I, I went and got like a pair of Brooks shoes that were, I think four millimeter, five millimeter, something like that to kind of bridge the gap. And so I, I spent a handful of months transitioning from the shoes I had been wearing that were, you know, the, the, the thicker sole, or the, the, the higher drop shoes down to where I could run in the Brooks comfortably. Once I'd made that transition, then I stayed in the Brooks for a while. And then I spent another handful of months transitioning from the Brooks to the ultras. So all in, in that time period between changing the stride to becoming, you know, wearing zero drop shoes exclusively, I was probably at least two years, maybe even a little bit longer than that. And even then there was some, some, some period where my calves were still like never really giving me problems, but they were tight. They were tight all the time and like working on stretching them and loosening them up. So like might've taken even longer than that. So all that to say, you know, if, if you're expecting to transition to ultras seamlessly in like a few weeks or a couple of months, like hopefully fingers crossed is all it takes for you. It's not my experience. It took me, you know, from the time I started wearing ultras, probably six or eight months. But again, I think you could make a good argument that it was 
a year, a year and a half in front of that, that was when the transition really started, even though I didn't realize at that point that I was transitioning to ultras. So, so yeah, it takes a while. It takes a while, Liz, you know, stretching your calves, stretching your, your, um, um, I guess your calves, I guess, you know, both with your knees straight and your knee bent, you're getting more, more gastroc focus and more soleus focus, helping to, to kind of loosen things up back there, loosen up the Achilles tendon a little bit, um, are things that's going to help with the process, but just take it slow, take it slow. Don't rush it. Uh, cause you're just kind of asking for problems. If you throw too much at your body at once and going from a 12 millimeter drop to a zero millimeter drop is asking a lot. And, and again, just, you know, ease into it and hope for, hope for the best. But if it's taking you a while or if it feels like it's taking you forever, like again, you're in company, you're, 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 your call, whether it's good company or bad company, but you're in company with a, a slow and tedious transition from quote unquote, regular shoes to ultras is what it took me. So thank you for the question, lady. I hope things are going well for you. Next question from Kelly. Uh, next two questions from Kelly. Um, what's your best wildlife encounter while on a run experience? So at first I was like, God, I don't know that I have too many, but I do have one. And this is a ridiculous story. I'll try not to make it semi succinct, but you know how it goes around here when I try to be succinct about anything doesn't work so well. So last year, last spring, um, I went for a run at one of the, the local ish trails where it's not uncommon to see some alligators, right? Like the trail I was on, I hadn't seen a lot of gators there, but I knew that, you know, with where's kind of the swamps and where some other lakes are and stuff like there's gators in this area. No question. So I'm always kind of on the lookout, always paying attention. Right. And this was the spring. Um, and for whatever reason, they, I don't know if it's the, probably the County, uh, had just come through recently and like brush hogged all of the, like the marsh grass and kind of the, the stuff that separates the trail that I was on down kind of a, like an eight or 10 foot sloped embankment to the water's edge. Right. And so typically in that eight or 12 feet, like you wouldn't be able to see anything. You wouldn't be able to see the water's edge. You wouldn't be able to see anything along that, that embankment. Like it was just all kinds of scrub brush and bushes and swamp grass and all this kind of stuff. Right. And so I remember getting to, to run around this, this lake and uh, I had a bit of a time crunch cause I was, Addison was running her mile race at school that day. And so I was running the trail before I went to school cause it's on the way to the school. Um, and I had it kind of planned out. I was going to do this little route that I've done before around this lake, back through the, the swamp, back out to the car. And so I'm going around this lake and, um, not a huge lake, maybe about a, a mile and a half or mi- maybe two miles is the loop itself. So whatever that does for the, the circumference of the lake. Um, and I'm like, wow, like they, they really just cut everything down. That's bananas. Oh, well. So I'm running along. I get about halfway around the lake and it's like, there's this, there's, I kind of happened to glance down the embankment and there's like probably a, a six or eight foot alligator just sunning itself on the side of the bank, but like down towards the water's edge. And it was like, whoa, like kind of stopped me in my tracks for a second. Heart rate spiked for a second, dropped back down. Cause like clearly he was not a threat to me. Um, he's going to take him a second to come up the hit up the hill. And like a six or eight foot gator is probably not going to come after a full size human being in the middle of the day, not in the water. Like, yes, they're dinosaurs and they have dinosaur brains, but like I was, I was all right. No big deal. Got a picture of him. No factor. Keep on keeping on, get a little bit closer to where I was going to turn off from the lake path to go back through the swamp and, uh, look ahead of myself and maybe 20, 30 feet in front of me there's a gator that put that other one, like made him look like a, a, a micro machine, a micro gator. 
Um, I don't know. You know, I didn't, I didn't get the tape measure out uh, and go and go tip of the nose to the tip of the tail, but he was probably like a 12 footer um, enough that, you know, if he wanted to take me down, he could take me down. And I stopped because he wasn't just down by the water's edge. No, this, 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 this guy, this dinosaur was uh, like the tip of his nose was like right in the edge of the, the trail, but like it wasn't much of an embankment there. So he was basically laying off the trail, but like just kind of laying with his, his nose on, you know, a trail that was probably maybe six feet across, six feet in width, kind of like a, a single track, like a car, like, like a two track type of distance, right? So like a, you could drive a car along it, um, but not any wider than that. So here I had to do some calculus. Go, well, I could turn around, which would be the smart choice, <laughs> not the choice I ultimately went with, but I could turn around, run back the way I came. But if I do that, I'm not going to have time to do the full run that I had planned, you know, ease out into the, the swamp area a little bit um, and still get back to the, to the school on time to see Addison run the mile. And if I don't do that, there's going to be all kinds of hell to pay at home. So like th- that has to happen. I could probably run by this alligator and most likely he's not going to come at me. Like he's not going to be, be threatened by me, but you know, it's nine o'clock in the morning or nine thirty in the morning. Like it's not like prime alligator feeding time. He's out sunning himself. Like he's probably not going to come at me, but if he does, I could be, I could be in a world of trouble. So like I'm kind of having this this internal argument with myself of what I should do. I'm stopped on the trail, um, and I decide that I'm going to run past him. I'm going to get all the way as far on the other side of the trail as possible. I'm obviously going to do a speed repeat right through here. Like even though there was no speed repeats on the calendar that day, I wasn't just going to humdy 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 you know whatever like laissez faire jog by him, keeping my heart rate in in check. Um, that wasn't going to happen. We're not going to we're not. I might be dumb, but I'm not foolish. Um, and then it's like, you know, a lot of times these types of creatures, like, you know, they're not going to attack something that they think that could harm them. So, you know, it would probably help if I tried to look bigger, right. Than than I am so that maybe he'd think twice about, you know, lunging towards me. He'll just let me go about my business. So I take, I take a picture of course, um, put the phone back in my, in my, my pack or my fanny pack or whatever, whatever it was that I was wearing at the time to hold my phone. And about whatever, 23, I'm still 20, 30 feet away from him. I'm like, all right, psyching myself up, ready to go. I start running. When I get about 15 feet from him, I take off in like a dead sprint with my hands extended up over my head to try to make myself look bigger, kind of waving them around like a damn fool running past this out, this dinosaur slash alligator. That's maybe six feet away from me. That if he timed it right and lunged at me, I probably would have no defense. That's my craziest wildlife encounter. Of course, obviously postscript, I'm here talking about it. So he didn't lunge at me. And if I, if I think about it, I can pretty much, you know, the, the, the internal monologue that that alligator had was what is this mother doing? Right? Like, like what, what stupid human? running with his hands over his, his head. Like that's going to, you know, prevent me from munching on him if I was so inclined, but Hey, he didn't bat an eye. He didn't move. He didn't flinch. He didn't do anything. I had my heart racing hands over my head, screaming past him. There you go. There's my best wildlife encounter that thankfully was basically a non-encounter, 
other than the fact that I was like, oh, this could be it. This could be it. I could be risking it all on this little nonsense run. Again, not the smartest choice I've ever made, but thankfully it didn't turn out in a bad way. So there you go. There's my best wildlife encounter while on a run. Uh, Next question from Kelly. Have you ever done any of the obstacle course races like the Spartan or the Tough Mudder? No, 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 no. Um, and I'm, I'm not going to say that I never would, but not high on the list of things that I have any desire to do at this moment. So we'll leave it at that. Um, I would rather just run than like run and climb over things and do burpees and stuff like that. So I'll just stick to running for now, but, uh, to each their own, you know, but no, no, Kelly, I've not done any of those types of races. Last question. What is your favorite non Disney amusement park? Uh, this is an easy one. Um, although admittedly I haven't been to a lot of non Disney amusement parks over the years. Um, but for me, it, it, it's, it's easily America's roller coast C- Cedar point hands down, not even close. Um, Cedar point is, uh, is my favorite non Disney amusement park. All the rides, give me the mantis, give me the, uh, I don't even know some of the newer ones they have. It's been a while since I've been there. Uh, but the mantis, the raptor, um, you know, the, the, what, what is, there's the big one that's just insane that, that used to be like the Magnum was the big one. And now like Magnum is like, you know, like the, the pint size version millennium, millennium Falcon. Is that it? Millennium Falcon, millennium force, maybe something like that. Um, yeah. Cedar point. Definitely my favorite non Disney amusement park. Um, Although I'm sure there's some other great ones out there that I just haven't been to. So I can't really comment on those as far as like, they can't be my favorite because I've never been there. Right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I like, I love me some Cedar point. Thanks for the questions, Kelly. Uh, next question from Sharon thoughts on gators for trail running. Yes or no, especially for Sandy, Florida soil. Um, my thoughts on gators is pretty simple. If I don't know the trail, if I don't know what I'm getting myself in for, I'm going to wear them because if I don't need them, oh, well. Like, like it doesn't, it doesn't hurt me at all. It's not like there's something heavy or something that's restrictive or anything like that. Um, and for those that aren't, aren't aware, gaiters are they're like a, a fabric-y type of something that goes over the top of your shoe, kind of wraps around your ankle. Usually like there's elastic. So it comes on like not tight, but it's snug. Uh, it kind of keeps debris from the trail from getting in your shoe, keeps things from getting caught up in your laces and, and getting your, your shoe all gummed up. So if I don't know the trail, then I'm going to wear them because whatever, if I don't need them, then I don't, okay, I don't need them. If I did need them and I didn't have them on, I'd be kicking myself that I got all kinds of sand or debris or things like that in my shoes or my, my, my shoelaces got yanked open a couple times. And I had like, not that it's a big deal to stop and, and tie them, but like, it's one more thing you have to deal with. Right. So, you know, I'm going to, I'm just going to wear them. Um, and now if I know the trail and I know that there's no impediments or there's no real issues for them, then I'm not going to waste my time putting them on, but I feel like the risk reward, like there's no risk of wearing them. And the reward is it can keep your, keep stuff out of your shoes. So, um, you know, as far as Sandy, Florida soils, uh, you know, on the trail. Yeah. Sometimes that's helpful. Uh, if I'm, if I'm reading in between the lines of your question, Sharon, I don't, I've never run on the trails that we're going to be running on for the, uh, the trail Ragnar next month. Um, but I plan on having my gators with me, probably having them on, um, potentially not needing them, but if I don't need them, okay. So if you, if you have some, probably bring them. If you don't have some, I don't know that you need to go out and get them because I don't think the trails are that bad there. But again, for me, from as far as I'm concerned, better to have and not need than need and not have, especially when it's something that I already have. It's just a matter of whether I put them on or not. Yeah, I'm going to put them on for Ragnar. 
uh, at least for the first trail. And then if I don't need them anymore, maybe I'll take them off at that point. But, uh, great question, Sharon. And, and again, something like that for me, you know, when it's a, when it's a coin flip of whether or not, but there's no real downside to having them on, have them on just in case, just in case. Next question coming from Lisa, getting, getting close to the end. Now we got about, uh, the, a half a dozen or so more questions to go. Goodness gracious. I feel like we've been going on forever. Still have a dozen questions to go. Y'all, y'all outdid yourselves this month. Good job. Good job. Next question from Lisa. If I'm always running slowly to keep my heart rate low, how am I ever going to train it to stay low when I run faster? I actually use run walk and I have to walk a lot more to keep my heart rate down. So great, great question, Lisa. And, and, and this is, this is like probably the most common question, or at least a variation on the most common question when it comes to heart rate training is how, how am I ever going to improve running faster? However you want to define improve, but how am I ever going to get faster if I'm running slow all the time or running, running easy all the time? Uh, especially if I'm having to do a lot of walking to keep my heart rate where I want it to be, how is my heart rate ever going to stay down when I, when I'm, you know, trying to go fast. And so there's a couple ways to come at this question. First of all, no matter how much you improve from a heart rate perspective, when you're running hard, your heart rate's always going to be up and that's okay. That's okay. That's not a bad thing. What we're trying to do with heart rate training is to improve your efficiency to get to the point where when you're running at a set, a set heart rate, your speed's increasing at that level. So here's a couple numbers to, to, to kind of try to prove the point that may or may not apply to you, Lisa, but, but just to, to, to try to, you know, illustrate the, the point I'm trying to make. So if you're, if you're trying to keep your heart rate at or below 140 and you're able to do that while running at a somewhat steady 10 minute pace over time by being consistent there and keeping your heart rate there and your pace there, eventually that pace is going to get, get faster. Eventually you're going to be running at 945 pace at the 140 heart rate and 930. And eventually, hopefully if all goes well, you might be down to a nine minute pace or even faster than that while still at a 140 beats per minute. So what that does then is that when you do quote, quote unquote, cross the line, when you do push harder to run faster, maybe on race day or during a hard workout, yes, your heart rate's going to go above that number and that's okay. But what, what we're aiming for is that you're able to be more efficient at the lower heart rates so that you don't fatigue as quickly on race day or during a workout and where your pace really falls off. Because ultimately what happens, and hopefully this is somehow making sense, you know, when you're talking about a half marathon or a marathon or whatever, it's not your top speed that determines your finishing time. It's how long you can maintain that, that steady level of effort. So if you're able to, to run at a 140 heart rate longer without your pace dropping, that results in faster race times. So the, the heart rate training is all about building your endurance. It's not necessarily about getting your top speed faster because for most of us, top speed doesn't really matter on race day. Like it's, it's nice to be able to say you can throw down a, a top speed of whatever, but for a half marathon, a marathon, you never get close to your top speed. But when you're able to maintain that, that pace or even improve that pace at, at whatever your heart rate settings are, and even going a little bit above that, you know, like on race day, I'm not worried about keeping my heart rate below 141, right? Cause that's, that's what my math number is. Um, on race day, I might, I might be, be running half or, or even more of the race at 150 at 155, but I'm able to maintain that pace or that effort, the pace that goes with that effort longer because my aerobic base is stronger because I do all my training runs, you know, well below one, 141. 
Okay, so it's 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 a little bit of something. I, I get that it's that maybe that doesn't make the most sense. I get that that's not the easiest thing to wrap your head around. It's kind of one of those where the proof is in the pudding. But the longer you stick with the heart rate training, the more efficient you get, and then the more you're able to just kind of keep going on race day when you're like, God, I feel like I should be slowing down, but I'm not, and that's a great feeling. And once you get to that point, like that's when you're just like, oh, yeah, this works. Um, but that's how it works. That's how like you're not you don't need to train yourself to run faster. You need to train your body to be more efficient at certain levels of effort. And by doing that, the byproduct is at least from the heart rate training, but if you're going to embrace heart rate training, that's what you're doing with the, with the, with the goal of getting more efficient so that you're running faster at the same level of effort. And then when you decide to push it, it's just icing on the cake, icing on the cake. So hopefully that makes sense. Lisa, just keep it up, keep it up. It will work. It just takes time and it's, and it takes patience. And I know that that's not always the, the easiest thing to do, but it does work. I promise you. Um, next question. Another one from Rob. One more question. Heart rate question. That is I'm about to have my first race that I intend to race that I tend to actually race since I've been focusing on low heart rate training zone two, fat adaptation, etc. Being that I want to push it and should to, being that I want to push it. Should I target my supposed quote unquote threshold heart rate pace slash pace to prevent going too hard where I dip into my anaerobic zone too soon and possibly bonking or flaming out. So kind of, I guess if I'm reading through the question correctly, Rob, how should you plan to, to attack the race? Um, this is difficult. This is, this is maybe the, the hardest part of transitioning from heart rate training to race day. And like, what is the appropriate effort to try to target? What kind of pace should I target? Should I target pace? Should I target a a certain heart rate zone? Like, and it's tough. And I don't know that I have a good answer for you, Rob. I'll tell you what I do. Not that, not that this is the right thing to do, but what I do on race day is I wear the heart rate strap, but I don't put the heart rate data on my watch. I also don't put speed on my watch very often. Although if I was, if slash when I get to the point of like a Boston qualifier being realistic, then maybe I'd, I'd probably would have that pace on there just to try to keep me in the zone as uh, keep me on target as long as possible. Um, but what I do is I really just try to focus on my body, focus on what I'm feeling. Now I get the, the worry of like pushing too soon and, and, and dipping too quickly, you know, going too hard too quickly. Um, and you just gotta have a little bit of discipline to like recognize that if you're doing a marathon and I don't know that that's the race you're doing, but whatever distance you're doing, knowing that like, you can't just go out like a bat out of hell, whether it's a, you know, a, a half marathon, marathon, whatever. So, you know, kind of try to keep it, keep it restrained at the beginning and then just kind of settle in and cruise and just kind of trust, trust your body. You know, and the, the later that you go in the race, the, the closer you get to the finish line, you can start pushing a little more, pushing a little more just by, by, by kind of trusting that the base of fitness is there. Um, that's what I've done for every race for the last like two and a half, three years. Um, and I've got more PRs than I have blowups in that situation. I do have a couple blowups in that situation though. So it's possible. It's possible. I think that if, if you were, if you wanted to get granular and target it, you'd look at something like whatever your, your zone two is plus maybe 10 or 15 beats and try to stay in that range in the medium to, to, to high end of that. So like for me, I guess, like I said, you know, in answering Lisa's question, you know, I race in the 150, 155 range typically, not because I'm monitoring it. That's just from looking at it after the fact. Um, even though my, my cutoff is like 140, 141. So I guess that, that kind of fits in. So that would be like the high end of my, my aerobic zone for training. So on race day, I'd maybe go to that plus 10, 15 would be like the upper edge that I'd want to get to, but I don't know that I want to be up to that right off the bat like kind of ease in kind of that high end of your aerobic zone or high end of your zone two, um, plus, you know, maybe eight or 10 beats and just kind of hang out there. 
uh, and then push it towards the end. But, you know, I, again, I, I think that, that for me, Rob, and, 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 you know, maybe the best practice is to just trust your body as much as like, listen to your body and trust it. Uh, if it feels like it's too hot at the beginning, back off a little bit. If it feels like you could, you could push a little harder, then maybe push just a little bit harder. Um, but, but, uh, you know, again, if you want to have a, a, a hard metric, maybe plus 10 or 15 from where you normally train at, it's probably a good, a good place to hang out. Um, at least for the first half or three quarters of the race. And then, you know, once you're a little bit less worried about blowing out too soon, then you can start pushing beyond that. Uh, so you can finish hard, hopefully. Um, but good luck, Rob. I'm looking forward to hearing how it goes. Please let me know, uh, after you get out of your race, but uh, good luck for you. And, uh, hopefully somewhere in there, you can kind of find that right blend between trusting the technology and trusting what your body's telling you. Um, and, and not finish with any regrets of like, I went too hard or I didn't go hard enough. Um, just kind of, it's, 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 it's a gray zone, you know, and it's, it's tricky, but good luck. Next question. Next two questions from Jasmine. First one, my training has been rocked with injury, illness, and an unexpected loss in the family. Sorry about that, Jasmine. That's, uh, obviously life happening to, uh, to an extreme. And I, I, I wish, don't wish that on anybody. Uh, but continuing the question I've been training since April, however, and have managed to stay pretty consistent. My longest run will be 18, 19 miles, uh, training for the first marathon. And I read that since I have a slower pace and that this is my first marathon, there is no sense in running for longer than three and a half hours, maybe four hours max, uh, since no gains are made after that. And the, and at that point, the risk of injury will increase. Will I be okay? Um, a couple of things on that. First of all, yes, you will be okay. You'll be okay. Um, I don't necessarily buy into that. There's no reason to do any training runs longer than three and a half, maybe four hours max. I still think there's gains to be made. Yes. The longer you go, you start increasing the risk of injury, but I would push back on the idea that there's no point in going longer than that. Don't say I'm not saying that you absolutely should or have to go longer than that. I'm just saying that there's plenty of, plenty of rationale for going longer than that. I tend to go longer than that. Lots of folks I coach tend to go longer than that. Some folks I coach don't go longer than that. Even when they're, that means that their longest training run is going to be 16, 17, 18 miles. So Again, you know, back to, to Mona's question, like everything's different for every person. What each person needs are different, yada, yada, yada. But yes, you'll be fine. You'll be okay. Um, first marathon is such a, such a learning experience anyway. Um, you know, and when you get through it, you'll, you'll have a better idea for next time. Like, should you go longer than that? Would it help you to, to have gone to 20 or 21 or 22 miles? Even if that means that you're going to be out there for four and a half hours or something like that. For some people, absolutely worth it. For some people, meh. You know, and, and the more experience you have, the more you'll you'll be comfortable with whatever, with figuring out what works best for you. Um, but yes, Jasmine, if you've been training since April, been more or less consistent while riding the waves of the ups and downs of life throughout that time, um, you're going to be just fine. You're going to be just fine, um, and uh, you know you'll be you'll be welcomed into club 26.2 before long as well. So trust the process, trust you're going to do it. Don't, don't get any under false pretenses that it's going to be easy. It's going to be a challenge. It's the first marathon. It's, it's not easy. It's going to be a roller coaster throughout those 26.2 miles. I don't want to paint the wrong impression, but physically you're going to be okay. Do the work, trust the process, enjoy it as much as you can. Um, and just keep taking it one mile, one step at a time till you get to that finish line and, and the emotions are going to come and it's going to be okay. Embrace it. Be proud of yourself. Be proud of the effort. Um, and, and again, just like I said with Rob, can't wait to hear how it goes. 
Follow-up question from Jasmine. Also, I'm freaking out about everything now that the race is almost three weeks away. The weather, my clothes, my fueling, my socks, someone from my past running up to me and, and breaking my legs the day before a race. Will this make me faster on race day or just faint? Um, Jasmine, it sounds like you've got the taper crazies going on. And again, you're in company. Hopefully good company, but lots of us have been there. We've all had those questions and those concerns and those, you know, constantly refreshing the, the weather forecast, even though it's still 12 days out and it's going to change multiple times between now and then, uh, trying to plan all the things, maybe even worrying about a Tanya Harding, uh, you know, type of incident, Nancy Kerrigan incident. Um, I think hopefully you don't have to worry too much about that one. Um, but yeah, the taper crazies are real. Uh, the taper crazies never completely go away. The more times you do it, the less, maybe the less crazy they are, but you still get the random, like you're going to have, here's, here's a prediction, right? Hope this doesn't come true, but at some point in the next few weeks, you're going to have a, a situation where you're like, how come my X, Y, Z is, but how come my, my hip is bothering me or my knee is bothering me or my calf is bothering me or my ankle? Like, like there's going to be some random thing that just kind of shows up and starts hurting you. And you're going to, you're going to be tempted to freak out by the temptation because my hunch is that a, it's happened to a bunch of, bunch of folks. I know it's happened to me several times and within 24 to 36 hours, magically goes away just as quickly as it showed up. It's just one of those phantom taper pains that, um, I don't know where they come from. I don't know why they happen, but it's not uncommon. So if it does happen to you, you're going to be okay. It's not going to make you faster on race day. Hopefully it doesn't make you faint on race day. It's just the taper crazies are happening and, um, happens to the best of us. So stay the course again, trust the process, get, you know, when you get into your taper, um, you know, kind of back to back to weasel's question like as long as it needs to be that's where you don't want it any longer than it has to be but that's where you know running a little bit during the taper kind of helps with burn the crazies off so you know if you need to go for a run go for a run um you know even if it's supposed to be an off day go for a shorty just to 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 remind yourself that all right yeah you didn't forget how to run yep we're good to go um and you're gonna be you're gonna be fine and again it's it's gonna be it's gonna be an adventure it's gonna be an experience um but you're gonna do it you're going to do it and, and no reason to think that quote unquote, only having an 18 or 19 miler is, is not going to be enough. You're going to be just fine. Just enjoy the process, which includes some of the taper crazies as well, but good luck to you, Jasmine. Can't wait to hear how it goes. Um, next question from Barb. If my voice can hopefully hold out for another six or seven questions, it's we're on life support, but we're going to make, we're going to get through <clears throat> much. I have to clear my throat a couple times. Next question from Barb. I've noticed when heart rate training that I slow down a lot. One way I manage this is to decrease my stride and take shorter steps. I'm kind of afraid that if I continue this long term, I'll end up training my body into a shorter stride. Should I be adding long strides or steps into my runs to prevent this? So Barb, um, I don't, I, I, I'm not here to be dismissive of your question or your concern, right? But what you're experiencing is exactly normal, totally normal. Um, and in fact, I would go so far as to say it's better that you're shortening your stride to keep your heart rate down than to try to take fewer steps to lower your cadence and end up overstriding and potentially causing some issues that way. So no, I don't think you need to worry about your body ending up being, you know, quote unquote trained into a shorter stride. Um, the, quite frankly, the shorter stride is just a byproduct of pace. You're slowing down your pace down. You're slowing your effort down to keep your heart rate in check. So your stride is going to get a little bit shorter. I bet you that when you have a hard workout, when you have a race day where you're not worried about running easy, you're just worried about going, you're not, you're not increasing your cadence to 220 beats per or steps per minute. 
to maintain a short stride, this short choppy stride, like your stride naturally lengthens out when you start going faster. That's just, that's just, I don't want to say it's just, but that's a, a pretty common byproduct of pace regulation, faster, slower, faster strides. You take your faster pace, takes longer strides, slower pace, take shorter strides. It's just, that's just how it works out. Um, so, so no, I don't think you need to worry about it. Now, depending on how far you are into this heart rate training thing, if you are getting a little bit worried about it, mix in a hard workout once in a while, mix in a speed session, your stride's going to lengthen totally normal. That'll, that'll, you know, remind you that, oh yeah, I didn't forget how to take longer strides for a speed workout. Good to go. And, or mix in a little, a couple of strides, you know, like the stride workouts into some of your, your easy runs. So where you're just going, you know, just kind of picking up the pace for 20 or 30 seconds. Um, again, your stride's going to lengthen out because you're pushing the pace for that 20 or 30 seconds, but hopefully it's not enough to really push you out of your heart rate zone. Um, but it's just enough to remind you that like, oh yeah, when I, when I pick up the pace, my stride's still there. So, so no, I wouldn't worry about it at all. I wouldn't be afraid of it, of it developing a bad habit. And like I said, I would be more concerned of, of overstriding causing you problems and potentially becoming a bad habit than the fact that you shorten your stride. So I think you're doing it perfect. That's moral of the story. Two thumbs up, Barb. You're, you're spot on. You're good to go. Keep on keeping on. All right. Good luck to you. Thanks for the question as always. Uh, next question from Lewis. Lewis, uh, I got to give you credit, man. You're, you're like your questions every, every month or it seems like, and this is not a bad way. Uh, but every, every month you just like ask questions that like are things I'd never would have thought of before. Um, and here's another one. So next question from Lewis is Nike phasing out the zoom fly threes. If so, are the zoom fly fours just as good, if not better, dude, I have no idea. I have, I have, I'm assuming that the zoom fly threes are the, like the carbon fiber performance enhancing drug shoes. Um, and so I'm assuming that the zoom fly fours are probably also carbon plated performance enhancing drug shoes. Um, so yeah, sure. I'm sure they're probably just like, they're probably just as good. Um, you know, pr- probably Nike's phasing them out just like any shoe company phases out any old iteration to make new ones. And that's just to like get people to buy new ones and, and, you know, have a more expensive model. Um, so I'm sure it's probably mostly profit, profit motive, motive driven as opposed to performance enhancements It's probably just as good. Um, as always, you know, when they switch models, there's always a chance that something is, is a little bit off. Um, so maybe they won't be just as good, but as long as Nike's profits are good, they're not going to care. Um, and that's not me being skeptical. Like ultra does the same damn thing and it frustrates the hell out of me. Um, so, so that's just, that's just shoe economics one one Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I have no idea about any Nike running shoes. Um, but I'm sure they're, they'll probably be just about as good, maybe better, maybe worse. Um, but they're doing it because it gets you to buy new shoes. And so that's good for them. And that's all they really care about. And again, that's not being negative at Nike. That's everybody. That's, that's ultra. That's Brooks. That's new balance. That's everybody. Um, if you like the shoes, they're good. If not, yeah, there's other options out there. So thanks for the question. As always, Lewis, for giving me something. I'm just kind of like, I don't know because I, I don't, I don't know, but I'm, they'll probably be pretty similar is how it usually shakes out. Uh, next question from Dina to run or not to run with a hydration vest slash pack during a marathon. I've been training with the vest, but see, I've been training with the vest, but water slash tailwind tend to be really warm, tend to really warm up mid long runs. Any suggestions? So, um, it's, it's a, it's a very good question, Dina, because it's, it's, 
it is like that struggle, right? Like it's nice to have the pack. It's nice to have the, the, the water, the tailwind, the whatever readily accessible when you want it, as opposed to at, you know, at mile two and a half and at mile four and at mile six, where the, the aid stations are set up. Um, it's also nice to have what you're used to with as far as pockets and like a spot for your phone and a spot for whatever nutrition you might take or, you know, whatever, like, like I've gotten to the point where I pretty much do all my races with my pack on because it's just creature comfort. Like, even if I don't use the water that much, like it's nice to have my phone in the one pocket and, and, you know, put the key in the other pocket. And like, it's just, it's just like, there's a sense of like comfort with having it on because I do all my training runs with it too. Right. So like, like I'm pro wear your pack during a race even though it, it's becoming more, more common, but you get a couple of raised eyebrows of like, and I used to be that guy that raised my eyebrows. Like, really? Why are you doing like, they've got all the stuff you need, but like, but they don't. And it, and like, I just like this and it doesn't hurt anybody. So why not? Um, that said, you're right. Like those longer runs, like the, the, the fluids do tend to warm up a little bit. Uh, so a couple options would be to like, you know, put some ice in it to begin with. And hopefully that keeps it cooler, especially if, if it gets to be cooler weather out. Uh, as we get into fall and winter, maybe that makes a difference. Uh, you can always freeze, you know, if, depending on if it's a water bottle or a bladder, but you can like freeze part of it, you know, put it, put it half full, put it in the freeze the night before, have it frozen, put some water in so that you got this big chunk of ice that keeps it, keeps the, the liquids cool as, as it melts. It gets a little bit tricky with tailwind because, you know, if you just freeze the water, then you got it more highly concentrated. Although you can mix up the tailwind the night before, pour half of it out, uh, and just save that half, you know, freeze the one half, pour the other half in, and you're, now you're probably good to go. Um, or you could just, you know, <laughs> you're new here, Dina, so I don't want to, I don't want to poke fun, but like you could just like, you know, suck it up and drink a little bit warmer water, uh, as long as it doesn't get too warm. And that's, that's, that's typically that's the route that I go. Like, yes, it's nice when it's cool. Um, but then as it warms up, I guess another option and it's, it is, and, and, and sorry for kind of poking a little fun there, but like maybe a, a good option on race day because you have water stops that you can refill at is once, it, especially if you, if you just have the water or even if it's a tailwind as well, but like, as it starts to get warmer to where it's not as palatable for you, you just stop at the next aid station, dump out what you've got, refill with cooler water on your, on your go. Again, that works easier if you have bottles versus, um, like the hydration bladder, but it still works. It's still a possibility. So there's, there's some options there. Um, of course you can just not carry your pack on, on race day and just rely on the, the aid station water. Like that works. Um, but what I do is I just tend to wear it. If it gets too warm, dump it out. And I have bottles for mine, so it's a little bit easier, but dump it out, refill, good to go. Um, but I'm not opposed to some warmer, some lukewarm water as well. So, you know, you just kind of got to figure out what works best for you, but I like having the, the vest on race day, but I know not everybody does. And that's, that's okay. You know, you got to figure out what works best for you, but I'd try it, see how it goes. Um, and good luck. Good luck. And welcome to the, welcome to the group, Dina. It's good to have you. Um, next question from Santina guessing that most runners get slower as they get older. Maybe once they hit 40 or 50 or whatever, what about runners who only start running or even exercising in midlife? Um, for how long can one expect to still get faster and, or go longer before plateauing or slowing down due to age. So great, great question, Santina. And one that I think that, um, probably in the back of anybody who's competitive, anybody who's got, you know, time goals or distance goals or things that they want to achieve, like probably all of us have that clock in the back of our head ticking down a little bit of like, all right, like are my best days behind me? Like are, are, are PR still possible? 
Um, because the fact of the matter is that father time is father time, right? And, and, you know, I, I, I jokingly say this, but it's a hundred percent. I think it's a hundred percent true that like getting older, like, yeah, it sucks, but like, what's the alternative is to not be alive anymore. So like, I guess getting older is better than the alternative. And if one of the byproducts of getting older is that maybe we, we're not able to do, you know, in our forties or fifties, what we were able to do in our twenties or thirties or, you know, where, however that slides, however that, that moves back and forth, like, yeah, getting older is a fact of life. And so, yeah, father time's going to catch up to all of us. We're probably going to start slowing down at, at some point. Um, but that doesn't, I, I feel like, I feel like a few things. One, I don't feel like it's inevitable and I don't feel like there's any type of X amount of time. So like, you know, if you start running when you're, when you're 50, like, could you still be setting PRs in your, in your mid to late sixties? Absolutely. You know, depending on where you're starting from, what your fitness is like, um, you know, what, what type of different races that you run? Absolutely. You could, you could still be seeing improvements for 15, 20 years. If you start running when you're 20, are you still likely to see PRs in your sixties? I mean, maybe not, but maybe there's something in there as far as like, you know, if you still want to get a PR, you can always get creative, right? You can still run like some random distance race that you've never run before. Boom. PR. Or maybe, you know, like, like maybe you didn't start running. You started running when you were twenties, but you were really like racing the marathon and the half marathon hard. Um, and only recently when you're in your mid fifties or early sixties, you start getting into ultras. So like, yes, you might not be as top end fast as you used to be, but like you could still see some, some progress as you get more comfortable with the longer distances and, and, and doing some, some, you know, like, like stretching out and trying some different, different distances or different courses, things like that, which might still lead to some PRs. Um, but I think that, that maybe the, the best thing or like, like I'll just make it about me because it's my show and you asked me the question, so I'll make it about me. Um, but like I plan to continue to improve for as long as I keep running. Now, one metric of improvement that I'm aiming for right now is getting faster, potentially running farther. But when I'm in my fifties, when I'm in my sixties, which I hate to say when I'm in my fifties, cause that's getting closer and closer. Like, I mean, I'm only going to, I'm going to be 40 in January, which means then I'm only 10 years from being in my fifties. But I, maybe I shouldn't say that because I know some of you are already in your fifties and you're like, yeah, you, just wait, just wait, Diz, just wait. Yeah, I know. Um, but like, again, what I'm trying to say is that maybe, maybe by the time I'm in my fifties, my, my days of, of running faster marathons and setting like all time PRs, maybe that will be behind me. I don't know. We'll see. I hope not, but maybe, but if it is, if it is behind me, that doesn't mean there's not still ways I can improve. Maybe I can improve on race strategy. So I'm running smarter. Maybe I can improve on recovery post-race so that I'm able to bounce back quicker. Or I'm able to be more patient with my recovery. Maybe it means that I'm improving on relative to, to my age. So like there's, there's age calculators out there where you can go, you know, um, like you can age grade your performance. So when you're 50 and you run a, a four hour marathon, that would translate to, you know, whatever, to a three hour marathon when you were 21 or something like that. So you can be like, Hey, you know, it's not a, it's not a actual PR, but like according to, to this calculator and, and, uh, you know, they, they customize a little bit, try to make it, make it as, as accurate for you as possible. But according to this calculator, like that might be the, the fastest, or, you know, the, the best marathon I've ever run, uh, or obviously whatever distance you're talking about. You can also, you know, start measuring improvement by how you rate in your age group. So like, you know, right now for me in the 30, 35 to 39 age group, like I might be mid pack at best, but maybe when I'm 60, maybe I'm regularly placing on the podium and, and races I run. Now, maybe that means that there's just three of us that are in the age group. All right. But that's fine. I'm still on, on the podium, 
because then I, I've improved over the years and that I'm still able to do this. Unlike, you know, however many people that are no longer running for one reason or another, or maybe, you know, I haven't slowed down, but maybe I haven't gotten much faster, but maybe I haven't slowed down much either. So now I'm more likely to finish on, on the podium. So I guess, I guess the answer is yes, at some point it's probably inevitable no matter when you start, no matter how long you've been in the sport, like you're going to see some improvement for a while. Then at some point that's going to stop happening. It's going to be different durations for everybody, but at some point it's going to happen, but you can still change your metric for success. You can still major change your metric for progress, change your metric for what constitutes as improvement, um, indefinitely. So, so, you know, yes, at some point you might see your race times inevitably slow down, but to me, that doesn't mean that you're, you're done improving always room for improvement, always room to get better, always room to, to, to push yourself in a different way. Um, and that's, that's something that I haven't had to fully embrace yet, but when it's the, when the time comes, when, when all time PRs are no longer an option for me, you better believe I'll be pushing myself in different ways or, or twisting my, my metric so that there's still opportunities for improvement out there for me, still opportunities to make progress. Um, yeah, whenever that day comes. So great question, Santina, something to think about for sure. Probably all of us thinking about, and remember, you know, getting older might not be anybody's idea of a good time, but again, beats the alternative. So, you know, there's that, uh, next question from Michaela. What is your proudest accomplishment? Whew, that, Michaela, like heavy hitter question here. I don't, I don't know. Um, my default answer from, from a running perspective, and I don't know that it really still is anymore, but like, it's at least a pretty cool accomplishment, I guess, was the, the day that I PR'd the half marathon twice on the same day. So, you know, it was a combination of being in, in well-trained, having, having my fitness as, as good as at the highest level that it probably ever had been at that point. And then having race strategy to like not go all out on the first race, but to, to run it strong, but run it controlled and, and quote unquote, only PR by like 40 seconds or a minute, something like that. And then recover well. And then 12 hours later, start my next race. Um, cause I had a race that started at eight and a race that started at 10. So, you know, finished the, the eight o'clock race, just, just short of 10 o'clock. Uh, I think it was like a 157, 156, something like that was the PR for that race. And then 12 hours later, start, start the nice race. Um, and, and, just push and try to run smart, but aggressive and see if I could do it. Um, and ended up, you know, with another minute or so PR that day. Um, so that was, that was a pretty cool accomplishment. I don't know if it's the most proudest, but like most proudest there's, there's an accomplishment. I'm not proud of my English skills. Um, but that was, that was a good one. That was a good one. Um, I'm sure there are others, you know, in in different lights, but like, um, you know, whenever I get that Boston qualifying time, that'll be a big one, uh, but not there yet. So that, that's a big one from a running perspective. From a non-running perspective, maybe from a business perspective, I think I think just the fact that we're still here, you know, we're closing in on a thousand episodes. Um, the the coaching side of business is is as good as it's ever been, um, and and you know even the folks that I'm not coaching anymore that have come and gone for various reasons over the years, like the fact that I've been able to help them and, and build a business that you know like I'm not I'm not just printing money, but like it's sustainable and it's it's growing year after year. Um, and you know, I mean, we all have, at least anybody in the entrepreneur business or, uh, you know, business of, of starting their own business and being self-employed have heard the statistics of, you know, most businesses fail within the first five years. And, and here we are at, at whatever I'm at now, like in terms of, you know, things have shifted over the years from exclusively personal training 
to where we are now with the podcast and coaching and book and yada, yada, yada. But like, you know, I'm at eight years, nine years of, since I, since I filed my paperwork to become incorporated. Um, and like, I have something, you know, it's not where I want it to be yet. It's not, it's not a finished product, but like, I'm pretty proud that we got to this point and certainly couldn't have gotten to this point without Rebecca. I mean, she, she's been the, the sugar mama for the entire time. Um, way more so in the early years when like, really there wasn't a lot of money coming in. Um, so, so it's not just, not just my accomplishment. Like she gets absolutely as much or more credit than I get for helping me stay above water until I was able to find some, some solid ground. Um, but that's a pretty proud accomplishment. I mean, I think being, I don't know if if we want to get real personal, being married for 16 years now, um, is it 16 years? I better make sure my math is correct on that one. Um, 15 years sometimes feels like 16, um, but 15 and we're at 15 and a half. So can I, can I get credit for rounding up, but being married for 15 and a half years, like, and really like, you know, I I feel like we've got a good thing going. And again, like, like not taking it for granted and it's not all me. Like she's put up with a lot of my crap for 15 and a half years. And I put up with a little bit of her crap for 15 and a half years, but like, you know, lots, lots of our friends that got married around the same time that we did are on their second or third marriage now. Um, and we're not so like pretty proud of that. Um, you know, I mean, there's, but, but, but it's a struggle for me to answer the question because I feel like a lot of the stuff is just like, yeah, I mean, like, like it just, 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 you know, doing what I got to do. Um, but yeah, maybe those are three. I don't know if I can rank them one. I guess if I have to rank them, I probably go from in reverse order. So, you know, having a, a good solid relationship with, with my best friend is, is maybe number one. And then a pretty good solid business is number two. And then two, two, have marathon PRs on, on the same day as three. Um, but they're all different categories, right? So I can have them all be my proudest in different, just in different categories, I think. But thanks for the, uh, the, the philosophical question as we're getting close to wrapping up today, Michaela. I appreciate that from you. Um, next question. Last two from Melody. First one. And these are, these are, you remember I, I hinted at some nonsense Melody questions. Well, here we go. Um, first one's not too bad, but the second one, oh, uh, what, or I'm sorry, why, did you want to become a running coach? And, and you know, like I, I don't know that I did want to become a running coach. Like is, is not that I don't like it. I mean, I love my job. Um, but like that was, that was never really part of the plan until it kind of became part of the plan, I guess, or until it kind of just happened. Um, you know, when I, when I set out to, to, to incorporate, you know, to, to start my own business, it was to do personal training and, I even had people that had asked like, Hey, do you coach runners? And I was like, nah, you know, I don't, that's not, that's not my thing. Um, so I turned down a couple of, of early potential clients that, uh, that just because I was like, nah, no, 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 not, not my thing at all. Um, but after enough people started to ask and I was like, I kind of looked into it and I was like, Oh, you know, like maybe I could do this. Um, it just kind of became an opportunity. And then, you know, lo and behold over, I guess it's been five years, five and a half years now that I've been coaching runners just kind of kept building and kept growing and hopefully I got a little better and got a few more folks that, that hired me and then got a little bit better and continued to learn and continue to refine and, and still continue to hopefully refine and still hopefully continue to get better, uh, as far as communication or as far as making sure I have different options or different things that I can do. Um, but it was never something I set out to do, but boy, you know, I mean, going back to, to Mona's question about math, like, like if I had it all to do over again, like, I mean, maybe I would have pursued something more in math, but like, 
being a running coach is pretty awesome. Like I, I, I really do love my job. And so like, like, I don't know that I would do it over again if I had to do it over again, you know, like if it was all going to play out the same way it did, like that'd be okay. That'd be okay. Um, I love it. I love it. Um, and, and so, but it was never, it was never a, a goal. It was never an ambition. It just kind of happened. And then it became a thing and I'm glad it did. I'm glad it did. Uh, last question. And we'll see how many sub questions we get to from this. Do you still like to eat at Applebee's? I mean, what, what a nonsense question, Melody. So for context, um, last week's Friday five did about, you know, favorite Halloween ish memories. And so some of them were from back in the day, but apparently in the comments, it got going crazy that, uh, Rebecca and I officially started dating, dating on Halloween in, uh, Halloween of 2004, I guess. And so that was like, that was going to be my crescendo of my Friday five was like my favorite Halloween memory is that Rebecca and I started dating on Halloween. And so, but apparently Rebecca's got into all the story, blah, 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 that like I had, had, um, proposed after we went out to dinner at Applebee's. Well, that had nothing to do with Halloween. So I don't know how we got to that point, but now Melody's got it in my head. Do I still like, like, I never really liked Applebee's. Like it was, it was fine. My parents think Applebee's is like fine dining experience. Um, I mean, it's like, if like to me, you know, Applebee's, TGI Fridays, Chili's, like they're all kind of the same thing. Like Applebee's is not my favorite of that place of the, of those types of restaurants, those kind of, you know, casual fast cat, like whatever. I don't even know what category it would fall in. Not my favorite, but like, I mean, it's fine. Like I can find something to eat there. Um, it's not like it has any special significance cause that's where we got, that's, we didn't even get engaged there. We just went to dinner there and then we came home and, and you know, I asked and she said, yes. So, you know, I, I guess I still like to eat at Applebee's. I mean, I haven't eaten there in years and I'm not missing it. So I, I don't like, I'm not jonesing to eat at Applebee's. Um, and then the follow-up questions continue. If so, which it's not, is it the precursor to an impo- to every important event in your life? No. Where did Rebecca tell you that she was pregnant with, Ad- with Addie? At home, not at Applebee's. Um, is your food order indicative of the importance of the moment? Like if you're going to tell Rebecca that you're planning on running the Philadelphia Marathon next year, that's like a two for two two for 22 meal versus going full on birth. Goodness gracious. No, like nothing about Applebee's. Why did I even answer all these questions just to get over two hours? If you made it this far, you can thank Melody for that last little bit of nonsense. Uh, Melody's final question. Will you disown me as a client after this last set of SAS filled questions? The possibility exists. Miss Dow, the possibility exists. And with that, another month of Q&A down, potentially one of the longest, top two or three longest Q&A episodes ever, thanks to so many great questions, and then a couple nonsensers from Melody at the end. Uh, but thanks for, for getting through it. What was your favorite question? What answer was not up to par? Any other thoughts and feedbacks from this episode? Give them to me. At DizRuns on Twitter, at DizRuns on Instagram. You can also send an email to DizRuns at gmail.com. You can also, also head over to the show notes for today, disruns.com slash 991. A few things linked up, as we mentioned in there, from Samantha's question, from Brooke's question, uh, Brooke's question about concierge coaching, which you can find out all that information and sign up on uh, on the website as well. Um, and I don't know, there's a few other things. The, the, the video of me playing the guitar, we'll have that linked as well. Uh, disruns.com slash 991. Once again, 
uh, comments at the bottom if you got any feedback as well. And with that, two hours and change later, the voice is hanging on. It's not going strong, but it's still hanging on, which I guess we'll count that as a win. And uh, until next time, y'all, be well. Thanks for listening. Oh, one last time. If you want to get your questions in, if you want to make the next month's Q&A even longer, bring it on. Bring it on. Not you, Melody. Everybody else, bring it on. Questions, best place to get them asked, get them asked is in the Facebook group, uh, disruns.com slash Facebook, or search for the Disruns Tribe on the Book of Faces. And uh, come join the party. Nonsense ensues more often than not, which is why it's a good time. Uh, happy to have you join us. And now, officially, until next time, be well. Take good care. Thanks again for listening. And uh, talk soon, right? See you guys.